0: So uh Joe, how do you want this like hot open supposed to work? How are these supposed to work now? Do I just like start talking like do, I mean, I no, used to do the long. the whole uh, like you're listening to, you know, code blocks, but now like I don't even know what to do. I'm confused now. So
1: uh what what we'll do is uh we'll go ahead and we'll record this right now. So we'll go you back we're to the recording. Record. Okay, good. Okay. okay. Okay, good. And then the thing is um you, what you got to do is just Kind of um, roll the dice to figure out at what point you start. So you don't want to start at the beginning. But what if I already started? Uh, as long as it's like in the middle of the sentence or something.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So episode 164. And then maybe you caught the rest of that is what you're saying. No, no,
1: you don't even do that.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it's 64. Is that better? <laughs> there you <we> go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to get the hang of this stuff. Uh, and, you know, in the meantime, I don't even know if I should say anything else. How? Isn't
2: this where somebody says, "Okay, Boomer." <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us home. You know what? Yeah. Fine. You want you want to be you want to be Boomer about it. Like, how about a, a you know old man joke for you then? Why do fish live in salt water?
2: Uh, don't know. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Because pepper makes them sneeze. Come on, guys. Uh, really? It was like right there in your face. <laughs> All right. yeah. So, I mean, do we still talk? We want to talk about like Spotify and Stitcher. There's stuff out there. You can find yeah. us. I don't know. You probably already found us through one of those. So why mention it? But, you know, subscribe anyways. Right. Yeah. We have a,
1: a website, too, where you can find uh, show notes uh examples and discussion and uh, more. And like, there's actually a lot. Like, we tried to do a lot with the links and stuff for the show.
2: Yeah. We also have the social media thing called Twitter. Um, it has an at sign in front of it. And then it says coding blocks afterwards.
0: And isn't that yeah, awesome we, like Facebook and Instagram and like, don't they all use that now? I think so. Now who's the boomer?
2: You, we have those social link things at the top of our website page. So you can go there and check that out. So yeah. And my name's Alan Underwood. Uh, I'm so impressed with
1: how we were so efficient in that. <laughs> <laughs> really it <splendid laughs> down there.
0: There you go. There you go. That was uh, that was another SLA that just got in and uh, you know merge request accepted.
2: Uh, Hey, hey, who are you, sir? I'm Joe Zach.
0: Oh yeah, he's Michael Outlaw. All right. Why did you like? Why did you like? You know, literally like face in hands, like oh my god, I can't believe I just told the world I'm Michael Outlaw. Like 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 being me would be so bad. What is that about, Joe?
1: I give up. What kind of (laughs) subtle (laughs) insult
0: was that? (laughs) I think I like the old intro better. You won. (laughs) (laughs) Break them down. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for ensuring the health and performance of your databases.
2: Alright, so as we like to do before we get into the show, we have a little bit of news. And first, we want to thank those that have taken the time to go up and leave us a review. So, Outlaw, um, who is super good at
0: reading these, go ahead. Yep. Wait for it. (laughs) From iTunes, 10 Pal 7. Sweet. Yeah, first try.
2: By the way, I think somebody else has to do the bag, because I've done the last two bags, and nobody's writing them, so... Oh, you think yeah. that's what it is? Yeah. They I heard. Think, I they, think I,
0: you know what it is, Alan? It's because you got weird. That's I why did. You, <laughs> I you put did. on your like, you know, late night jazz voice there, you know, radio DJ da- jazz voice. And people I'm were right. like, I just can't do this. Like, what? Right, yeah, no, like you made it weird, man. I did. I'm you remember sorry. that scene from like Austin Powers where like uh, Dr. Evil, you know, he's like, we we made it weird, didn't we? Yeah, like, we that's what happened. Totally. Yeah. yeah I, I can own it.
2: All right, and then so the only other quick news that we have are I've been trying to now start doing like little quick tips on YouTube. So we have our tips on the show and I'm trying to take some of those and turn them into videos so that you can actually see some of the stuff that we're talking about because some of this is hard to describe and show how it works. And so there's two of them. We'll have links in the show notes. One is making HTTP requests easy in Visual Studio Code. And another one is being able to see text diffs really quickly in Visual Studio Code, doing partial diffs and other ways. Oh, and then um, Jay Z's got another piece of news right here.
1: Yeah, just want to mention uh, Atlanta Code Camp is coming up uh, October 9th. It took last year off, uh, stupid COVID, and uh, coming back at it. It's it's ten dollars, but it's an all day thing. You get lunch. Uh, I think you get a T-shirt too. Uh, it's really uh, it's a really awesome event. We uh, have done this event um i don't know it feels like a lot of times but it's always a fun um i don't know if we're going to get a booth or not this time but you know maybe so if you want to come there and uh say hello we'll be uh rocking it
0: i mean i hope we get a booth i want to be able to meet everybody yeah i think i think
2: we probably will right yeah and jay-z you're doing a talk i think i'm going to try and submit a talk i need to do that here the next day or two um so submitted i don't know if i'll accept it uh you'll be accepted Alright, so I think both of us will be talking at Atlanta Code Camp as well. So definitely come up, say hi, and you know, meet me, Jay Z and the Outlaw.
0: Yep. Yep. All We're right. Getting into topic? So, yeah, so let's talk about it. What are we talking about? Do you want to intro it?
1: Yeah, so JetBrains just published a uh, state of dollar ecosystem, which is uh, their big survey that they do every year. And we did uh, GitHub earlier. We talked about Stack Overflow before, and so uh, we, it's always interesting to kind of compare these and just kind of uh, you know look at um, what the, the different kind of audiences are and how you know what's common, what's different. Um, so thought so that'd be fun. But I thought it'd be a fun to uh, take a moment to answer probably the number one question I get uh, really often, which is. Why would I use JetBrains products? Uh, you know, we do, um, a giveaway on the mailing list and, uh, giveaway typically three per month. And so, you know, a lot of times will people, you know, sometimes they'll win and say like, okay, now what should I get or what do you recommend? Whatever. And, uh, I find that it's, um, the people who know JetBrains know JetBrains and the people that don't, don't understand why they would use a JetBrains product when there's something like a VS code or Visual Studio or something else that, uh, is available, so that'd just be cool to kind of talk about what JetBrains does. And this isn't a sale pitch. You know, they do give us uh, licenses to give away on the you know uh, via contests, but they've never sponsored the show or anything. Uh, but I think we all use it at work, right? Yep. I mean, at least one or three JetBrains products. Yeah, and it's been the case for like I you know most years I've had some sort of JetBrains product around, um, whether it was ReSharper or IntelliJ or whatever. Um, so, what would you say uh, you're, your
0: go to is right now?
1: My default editor is IntelliJ. I mean, today,
0: okay, Alan. I am assuming you are going to say the same.
2: Uh, so, I usually have both IntelliJ and DataGrip open. Mm-hmm. So, um, because you know, whether I am querying something like Mongo or Postgres or whatever, like it just it makes it really easy
0: to do that. So, you and, think on the consolidated route, like Jay Z does, where you use the uh, querying functionality inside of IntelliJ? No, I mean, I've thought
2: about it several times, but DataGrip is. It, awesome it's the best way i know how to describe it is it's a specialized tool right like when you go into data grip it is data centric right like its whole focus is is messing with data looking at databases schemas, that kind of stuff so it's geared for that um not that intellij can't do a decent job of it with what you can use in there but i just I, i like the more you know, hey, this is my data tools and these are my, my coding
0: tools. Well, it's like you could have done the same thing in Visual Studio with SQL Server, but, yes, you know, you technically could, but did the majority of people? Probably not. Yeah, you open up
2: SSMS, right? Like, right. Um, that that's basically what you did. But it, to your question, like, why would you use some, like some of JetBrains products versus, versus what? I guess, Jay-Z, is your question there.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the the one that it gets compared to the people that, that ask about it is like, uh, you know, why not VS Code? And so so many people are so used to using uh, VS Code, you know, for the primary development, it, it's really taken over. And unless you're doing something like a C Sharp or Java, it's really the kind of the primary IDE thing, I think, uh, across most languages. And so people just, you know, they they want to know. I think it's a legitimate question, They're not challenging judge brains. You're just saying like. Why does this exist? If I have such a good experience over here, and VS Code is so popular, but I think you you kind of tipped uh, or you hit on what I think uh, is some of the, is one of the primary strengths of IntelliJ, which is in DataGrip. The reason you use DataGrip, if I understood correctly, is because and the reason you use it specifically over like the IntelliJ that has you know the tooling kind of built in to talk to the databases, is because when you're using DataGrip, every button, every panel, every menu is cater towards querying databases. And that's really powerful because it's everything you want to do. There's no other stuff. You're not going to be running NPM servers or whatever. It's all just there for you. And that's a big part of why JetBrains, I, I, at least I love it so much, is that when I'm using IntelliJ, everything there is for Java. Uh, right. There's no cruft. And everything is integrated, too, which is really important. So um, uh, I'll give you an example from WebStorm, which is their um, their JavaScript kind of website website. Uh, tool and there's community edition of that by the way i haven't used it before i'm using the pro version but uh, i want to uh, check in something in typescript which by the way i didn't have to install a plugin for it just you know had it already uh, it had an angular support already just kind of picked it up on my project uh, i went to commit using the, the git tools and the ide and it warned me that i had introduced new uh, typescript uh, linter warnings and so it said are you sure you want to commit because you just added three new warnings to the project so of course i went and fixed it but what struck me there was that the linter tool was aware of the source code tool and that is something that you don't get when you use something like a VS code and you're using the uh, source code plugin from you know github gitlens and you're using the linter uh, plugin from somebody else and you're using the angular tools from somebody else. And uh, even the, the linting had to do with Angular. So, you know, if you're using plugins from all these different providers with different, differing kind of levels of quality, then there's going to be things that overlap in weird ways or don't really kind of tie together so nicely. But when you get everything from one provider and it's all designed around this kind of normal workflow, it's a really powerful and great experience.
0: So... The one thing I'm surprised that no one said though, and this is like always been one of my favorite things about JetBrains products going back to the days of ReSharper we've talked about was like the like refactoring kind of capabilities oh, yeah, that are sure. baked into, uh, you know, either the ReSharper plugin or their IDEs, be it uh, a WebStorm or an IntelliJ or a Rider or even DataGrip. Like, that is the most amazing experience. Like I, I love VS code because it's lightweight and um, you know, there there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pros and cons for it. Right. Like uh, one of the cons is that like, you know, if you want to set up like a debugging experience in it, like you got to go and set up that JSON config file for it. But a pro to that is that you can also share that as Config, you know, or as code that gets committed into your repo. So now, like other developers on your team, like we, you know, uh, another colleague and I, we were on a on a machine learning Python project, and we were able to like commit in to uh, you know as part of our VS Code, uh, you know, um, you know debugging environment, right? So that was kind of nice because then like we could make sure that we were on the same page. But I am with you that on like the, you know, if you're going to be in like, I, I can't imagine using. Uh, a VS code for like uh, any kind of Java development. I'm sure you could do it, but like, you know, why would you want to, you could also build a house just using a circular saw and nothing else. You know, if you really wanted to like figure out a way to bang a nail into a wall using a circular saw, but there's a better tool for the job, right? Yeah. And and I'll I'll give some context too
2: there because I, I love visual studio code. I mean, truth be told I have IntelliJ open, all the time. I have visual studio code open all the time. And I usually have data grip open all the time. Like I have all three open, right. And I'm using all three of them throughout the day, but to the point of like something like Java, one of the reasons why something like JetBrains IntelliJ or, or visual studio, you know, not visual studio code, but visual studio. The reason I go to tools like that, a prime example is in the Java world, You've got all kinds of tools that come along for the ride, right? So you have the JDK that you're developing with. Are you using JDK 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13? Which ones are you using? Maven, Gradle, um, What whatever. Maven, what Gradle, um, environment variables, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, And what's beautiful is IntelliJ will bundle that stuff in there for you. Right. So you don't have to go, like, if you're going to do this stuff with visual studio code, you're going to have to go install it on your system. You're going to have to tell visual studio code where you have all this stuff installed and all that. Whereas in IntelliJ, it sort of gives you that environment, right? Like, Hey, you have the 1.8 JDK. Do you want to use that? Sure. Do you want to use the built-in Maven from IntelliJ? Sure oh, by the way, when you launch this program, do you want it to automatically substitute in some environment variables? It's all right there in the IDE, right? Like you don't have to go out of your way onto your system to set things up to make your development experience good. And so once you learn how to operate, which, by the way, uh, I don't know about UJZ and Outlaw, but for me, IntelliJ was a learning curve. Like it, oh, it yeah, really was. For sure. the, and part of that is just the Java um ecosystem yeah ecosystem in general is it's very um open in terms of what tools and stuff you want to use and and JetBrains embraces that right like when you go to set up a new project you got 50 different options going down the side that you're like do you want maven gradle do you want spring spring boot
0: what it is like that openness comes with verbosity
2: it does and so there's it's almost like you you find yourself almost buried in a sea of things but once you learn what it's doing for you you can really appreciate it and and i think another thing that i really do like about using a full blown ide like that is you can get into debugging and once you learn where all the windows and tools and things are like they don't hide anything from you right so even if you wanted to go do it on your own, you can still do it, right? Like if you wanted to go do it in Visual Studio Code or from the command line, you can because those commands spit out there. But it is an environment geared towards making you productive as quickly as possible going forward. And this actually reminds me. So we've all talked about this in the past. Like when you do your Git commands, we've always been like command line guys when it comes to Git. Oh, Jetbrains no, might
0: have Don't tell me.
2: Jetbrains might have converted me a little bit on this oh, and I'll oh. tell you why. Oh, I'm so hurt. Dude, so check this out. If you go in and you say, "Hey, I'm ready to um commit and push this. They've done such a good job wrapping useful features around that. Like it'll show you and say, here's the diffs, right? So instead of going to the command line and saying, get diff and then paging through um, all the output, they give you file outputs right there compared that you can just click and say, all right, show it to me. Like you could in a pull request, right? So before it ever goes up, you can see this in your IDE beautifully. Like just scroll back and forth.
0: There's a video had that same thing.
2: Digital Studio does have yeah, it. it. Does. I, I never used it. I, I never used it. I, it was always like, no, I'm going you to You have self respect. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but check <laughs> this out. When you go to commit, it'll also be like, hey, you know, do you want me to format this and and get it to a standard before you even commit it? So it's built into the IDE. So, you know, we've talked about um, what was it? Something config. You could uh editor config. Like if you had something like that in place that said, these are my formatting standards, tabs versus spaces, whatever, it can go through and do all that for you before you commit. You don't have to worry about it. You get your code working, it'll fix it up. That, Like that kind of stuff is absolutely beautiful. And you don't get that from the command line. So you have more of a, again, it's very much focused on making your life as a developer better. And, and, and I like that. Now I haven't switched completely but i got a little taste of it and i got to say i liked it.
1: mm yeah i think um you know what, what i also with the um the like the refactoring tools the reason that uh you know we we really want to hit on that and, and mention that is because you don't see a lot of those tools in other id's including vs code because they're very specific to the language and there's a lot of work. so resharper uh as an example here is a plugin for visual studio very popular for uh many years. And it had some uh, performance problems you know at some point they've gotten better over time but the people would do that and they would put, pony up a couple hundred dollars for a plugin to a visual for, to a visual ide because it was so good and no one else could even touch that functionality because it was really hard to do they built a c sharp compiler in order to introspect your code in order to find problems and help you make refactorings that would actually still compile after you were done so you could right click and say Hey, split this out to a new class or let me extract the interface or let me in, in, uh, implement an interface and it would do it. And it could only do that because it was a really heavy duty tool that took many, many years to develop. And uh, it, IntelliJ has that too with Java where the refactoring tools are on point because they've spent years, like I don't, I don't even know, like 15 years, 20 years, however long they've been around developing really good and difficult to reproduce tools that I just am not aware of in you know a VS Code type environment.
0: I mean, I, even after all these years, like Microsoft, for example, have introduced a lot of functionality that's similar to what JetBrains offered with the ReSharper plugin, but none of it ha- holds a candle to the ReSharper. Uh, capabilities. It was always like superior in, re- in like regards to the refactoring. But then, like you said, you know, there was over the years, some performance issues that started like creeping in where people were like, you know what, the Microsoft one's good enough. But um I've actually, you know, I'm in a similar boat with Alan where like the main, the three main IDEs that I have open these days are VS code for everything, not C sharp or, you know, or SQL. So like JavaScript, CSS, YAML, uh, whatever, you know, all of that's there. Plus, I also just super like it for being able to like quickly search the entire code base. Same. It's so efficient at that. I love VS Code, like how lightweight it is for that. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, I do prefer Datagrip though for my actual SQL things. And, you know, it has like even even its ability to like reformat your SQL into a consistent format. Like I love that kind of thing, you know? Um, and then uh, I was, so I, I've been doing a lot of, you know, I'm still doing a lot of.net development these days, but, um, and, and I'm doing it on Mac these days and I was using visual studio for Mac. Uh, but I mean, you want to like it, and it's named the same and they kind of try to make it look the same, but it's not the same. And there's like features that aren't there. And the reason why is because technically it's not a port of visual studio. It is a rebranding of Xamarin studio. Mm-hmm. And so that's why there's, you know, the discrepancy there. So I'm sure over the years, like it'll eventually get a parody, but uh, my go-to.net uh, environment here lately has been Rider another JetBrains tool. Right. Yep. Yeah, so I, I in mean, Rider it's like just like the same. Like Rider, WebStorm, IntelliJ, PyCharm, like all of these uh, they're all based on the idea, you know, IDE that JetBrains has and you know, then they just like spin off that same thing but for, you know, a specific language or whatever. Yeah, I
2: think in short we all use the full-blown IDEs because they make you faster and more efficient. As a developer, that's it. Visual Studio Code is absolutely amazing, and yes, you can do you can do a lot of things with it, but it won't be as efficient, and it won't be as um purpose built, like is integrated, and so you lose some of those features well, that, that you get in the in the big IDEs.
0: It's like this, like like a Tesla, right? You could get you could get a Tesla Model S you know, you could get the performance package on that, right? Like it would be insane. You could literally have an insane, you know, ludicrous kind of mode to it, right? Stupid fast. It'll get you around the racetrack. You'll have a lot of fun and it'll do uh, like 99% of everything you want to do. But you go to those full fledged IDEs because they're like the F1. They're like the specialized thing. They're going to like, they are amazing at this one task. You want to get around this particular racetrack. This is the F1 car you need. And it's going to do the better job, right? Can you do it with that Tesla? You absolutely can. And you will have a fun, good time doing it. But this one is going to get you across the line faster. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so I think, you know, uh, in, in short, um, the reason that IntelliJ exists, the JetBrains exists, I did look out 20 years, uh, um, like exactly wow. 20 years since first release. Uh, the reason that they're a company that's doing very well is because they're really good. Mm -hmm. This is a totally optional program that nobody has to use. And yet they've survived for 20 years. Like how many different job IDs have come and gone in that time? And they've
0: stuck around. It started out as a plugin there, right? Like it literally was just the plugin for visual studio in the beginning. It wasn't IntelliJ. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought IntelliJ was first.
2: Was it? I mean, here's what we can say though, is when you consider that there's a tool like Eclipse out there, that is a full-blown IDE for Java, and JetBrain still sells the ever-living Huey out of um, IntelliJ, that that should tell you just about everything you need to know right there. Because Eclipse is great. Is Eclipse it? is actually an excellent IDE. Uh, I see Outlog kind of... But, but IntelliJ is, is
0: just amazing. Yeah, I yeah. was never a fan... Like, I remember... You know, even back in the day when Eclipse came out, I was just never a fan of it. And, you know, like the, back then in the day, you know, you were comparing it to like what, a Visual Studio 6, you know, would be like the the uh, Microsoft C++ kind of, you know, IDE that you might, if you were moving from like one language to the next. And I, I just, I, I felt like, it felt, it seemed like Eclipse took off Back then in like the late 90s, because for Java, you know, maybe there wasn't a better choice. But in the year 2021, it's still popular, but would, but, but better than IntelliJ, for example, it's
2: free. That's that's what I'm getting at, right? Okay. It's free.
0: No, but, but that's, that's the killer point
2: is there is a fully capable free IDE out there in Eclipse fully capable, yeah. But people are still willing to shell out, you know, one, two, three hundred bucks, well, three hundred. I think community for Ultimate, edition of right? IntelliJ. Oh, yeah, you can't get IntelliJ for free, right? Um the community edition, but people still shell out for the pro edition because it's so good. So it's one fifty for a personal license uh,
1: for for uh, yearly license with a perpetual fallback, which means you just don't get updates after that year. Uh, five, it's five hundred dollars if you're going through a business license. But uh, you know, even ReSharper. So I think like people were paying big bucks for Visual Studio, and then they would pay on top of that hundreds of dollars for ReSharper, even when it made their machine slower, because that's how good it was. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's just crazy to me.
0: Well, uh, so uh, this episode is sponsored by IntelliJ and JetBrains. Yeah, no no no, yes, we should probably get on that show. Yeah, we should, because this episode is not actually sponsored by JetBrains, no matter how much we are gushing over. Uh, their products, and you know, if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you've heard us gush over JetBrains products over the years. So you're probably used to it by now, and you might have already fast-forwarded this part. So if you're just listening, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just the show. So, uh,
1: so now let's
0: talk about JetBrains.
1: Uh, so, <laughs> talking about the uh, survey, so I got a couple highlights I wanted to hit. So, um, first of all, the they conducted the survey over the course of the last year. Uh, Thirty-two thousand developers, roughly over 183 uh, countries. And one thing I thought about is this, this is interesting is um, how the, how I expected the demographic demographics to compare to like a stack overflow or GitHub state of the Octaverse or a state of JavaScript. And uh, with JetBrains being, being, <laughs> Jet, Jet Jet being primarily, you know, commercial products, uh, it made me think that they were going to skew heavily towards, you know, full-time employees, probably at larger enterprises, things like that. Uh, and so, you know, that's what I've kind of been thinking about. Um, I was kind of surprised by the actual numbers. So, like, one thing I noticed is that, um, 63% of the uh, respondents, uh, are full-time employees compared to 70.9 on Stack Overflow.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, that's a, that's a pretty big difference there. And uh, everything else was pretty hard to uh, kind of compare between the two because they kind of had different bucket sizes and stuff. But I did see that JetBrains uh, skewed slightly younger with um, people being – or slightly less experienced. People being um, like three to five years, being their, their biggest quadrant there, uh, Stack Overflow had five to nine. So that was kind of interesting that Stack Overflow had a, a slightly older audience or more experienced, I should say.
0: So the more experienced developer you are, you know, to not even try to write it, just go to Stack Overflow, see if it's already been answered for you, that's right. uh, copy and paste it, give the attribution because you're, you've been doing this long enough that you know that per Stack Overflow's license agreement, you have to do that and you move on about your day. Whereas if you haven't been doing this very long, you're like, well, I need an IDE that's really strong that can help me out with all this refactoring stuff that I've been hearing the coding blocks guys talk about. So I guess I need to have one of these JetBrains IDEs to do it for me. That's right. I think that's the takeaway. I just summed up the internet in a nutshell. There you go.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you did it. Um, one, uh, Another thing I thought was interesting is uh, education levels about the same, but um, 71% of the respondents develop for web backend.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, right? So running yep. APIs.
1: Yep. Uh, so uh, one of the things I thought was interesting, I couldn't find a good link to this, the the Stack Overflow survey, but I, I, we talked about this, and you could kind of see it on various charts. But Stack Overflow tended to uh, – to lean heavily towards like C sharp um, and uh, uh, basically the, just the dot net stack. I don't know if that's because of the history or, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe. I
2: thought it was Microsoft JavaScript. It.
1: Oh, I mean, everything's JavaScript, but I just mean like, if you look at like uh, the popular languages, like C sharp kind of seems like oddly over representative uh, represented in there. Um, and even like things like SQL server and stuff rank higher than I mean, you. you, you have
0: John Skeet answering questions. Of course. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So I don't know if it's maybe the .NET community just really embraced Stack Overflow or maybe, you know, I don't know what it was. People just had more questions about .NET. I don't know. Maybe there were better forums for Java at the time. I don't know
0: why really that is, but it's kind of interesting. But I guess, I mean, it kind of makes sense too, though, if you think about the the tooling that JetBrains provides, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you could do uh, Android development with IntelliJ, but... When you consider that's just one of all the many tools and that's only one of the many uses that you might use for IntelliJ, then it kind of makes sense that a lot of it would be kind of webby, you know? Yep. Uh, you know, you think about like a uh, a WebStorm, for example, or, you know, things that you might do with PyCharm, you know, you could even, you know, flask apps or whatever
1: and uh so and just like you mentioned too like javascript way up there which really surprised me i did not expect to see javascript because vs code has such a great experience for javascript so i don't know if that's because people are doing javascript in addition to what other language like they're doing full t- stack type stuff or you know maybe
2: webstorm is a lot more popular than i i knew i don't know so when they say th- this was a survey that that people took Right, so this this wasn't based on their IDEs. This was just you know, uh, you know what language you're using. So JS came away as the most popular here too, huh?
1: Yep, yeah. It took a big jump from 2018 to 2019, and it just stayed there.
2: Mm.
0: But I mean, is that really surprising though? Like, I mean, it's really like everywhere. Like, you know, there was literally a presentation that we saw that we all loved that was JavaScript is everywhere or something like that. You know, I forget the exact title, but yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you really can just write JavaScript for every platform to do everything for anything that you ever wanted. And, you know,
2: whatever. You just about can. Yeah. They
1: did say, uh, so one of the questions was, what is your primary programming language? Uh, 39% said JavaScript, and it was number one. Hmm. And considering this is IntelliJ's, you know, they got they have a whole section on how they um, did a survey. But it's, you know, their newsletter, their audience primarily. So to see that, and no, number two is Java, is 32%. It's just crazy. Uh, yeah, Python I would have thought drop. Java would have been higher. Honestly, yeah, me too. Like that—that's that, how I would have guessed. P, uh, Python dropped a little bit in popularity and t- from 2020 to 2021, and that's like the opposite of what you see on every other survey. Like Python is also trending up very hard. So I don't know if that's like them maybe losing some ground with PyCharm, uh, their their ID, you know, their idea uh, editor, stuff like
0: VS Code, or I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if like VS Code was taking the PyCharm market share. Yep. Uh, you know,
1: what else is interesting is, uh, Java took a big dip from 2020 to 21. And I don't think Java developers went to another platform. I think they moved to other languages.
0: Well, because they broke apart. Well, they did break apart like Kotlin versus Java versus, uh, they have Groovy is separated Scala. So like all of those different, uh, JVM, uh, like all, all of the languages that compile down to bytecode are, are like separated. Yep. But it looks like all of them collectively took the same, you know, took hits. Maybe not. The yeah, same except hit. PHP took a, a big uh,
1: jump. Well, that's um, not Java. That's
0: not a bytecode one though.
1: No, no, I'm sorry. I was just, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. I was just looking at the ones that Dad uh, did, but yeah, absolutely. Oh, so I see. Yeah. Well, what you said is absolutely right. Like, I was really surprised to see Kotlin uh, took a dip there too, from 2020. But 2020 was a great year for Kotlin. Um, so, yeah, interesting. And I'll uh, do a lot of stuff kind of trickling down. Uh, Rust is going up. TypeScript is going up. um, JavaScript's about the same. So just kind of interesting.
0: I wonder, like, I just had a weird thought. I wonder, like, <clears throat> just with, like, you know, if this survey, was this survey done in 20, this was over, over a year. So I assume that means that it started in 2020 and, you know, it's been going on, right? And, like, we've been dealing with the pandemic and I don't know how, like, some industries have been hit by that. So I wonder if that's had any part of that, you know, some of those numbers going down. I don't know. Yeah, I forget um I need
1: I forget where the link is. I need to find the link to where that what they did to figure out the exact date. So I don't know what, exactly how long the survey was open for.
0: Okay. Um methodology, I, mean, I would sure. hate that to be the reason.
1: Yeah. But uh, you know, you got to take compare. into
0: consideration like what's happening in the world around you when you look sure. at numbers like this to like put things into context. You can't just like look at it in a vacuum by itself and be like, oh, well, the only, you know, everything else was held constant and, you know, Java lost popularity. Like, really? That seems crazy, right? Like, TypeScript oh, wow. lost popularity according to this. This, uh, am I, am I or unless I'm reading these wrong, like, I'm I don't, seeing rates went up. It's saying what
2: programming languages have you used right in the past twelve months, so
0: I don't oh, know. okay, so maybe I'm reading it wrong, yeah, I don't know that it's
2: popularity, it's just what are you what are you coding in? yeah, okay,
0: I'm reading it wrong then
1: and uh so speaking of being wrong, uh, I looked at how they um you know gathered the results they have a a big section on sampling bias reduction, and the deal here is that they got. Uh, respondents from Twitter ads, Facebook ads, Instagram, Quora. Uh, and then what they did is they weighted it. And so they did like three different stages of weighting based on um, populations in different areas of the world. Um, currently employed versus not. And uh, also like employment status. So uh, it's pretty advanced. It's definitely over my head to kind of to, to really kind of understand like what they're doing other than trying to minimize bias. So like they knew they were going to you know, get a kind of an unfair uh, or not unfair, but just a, a very skewed result based on their audience. And so they tried to fight that by going uh, to these other communities in addition to their own communication channels, like their mailing list and stuff. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I guess things said at the beginning about what kind of developers you might expect to see, you know, <laughs> that's out the window. They tried to reach but outside of their bubble is the point. Yeah. Okay. Which I have mixed feelings about that. I kind of wanted to see what was in their bubble, but fine.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. Um, I forget where we were. (laughs) I think, I think we're here. The top five languages devs are planning to adopt.
1: Yep. And uh, this was definitely, you know, something we've seen uh, everywhere. Go, uh, go is up there um rust of course is the one like i mean every graph you see on rust these days it's trending up uh go has been seeming to kind of trend a little down as like i think some of the go uh developers have kind of been moving over to rust so it's definitely not uh the kind of it doesn't have the kind of excitement around that it did years ago but it's still in the top five you know (laughs) like don't get me wrong uh kotlin always glad to see that typescript python typescript like what is going on
2: I mean, people people got tired of being bitten by runtime errors in JavaScript, right? I like guess. that's
1: it. I yeah I I mean I still don't say so I would so I would love to hear your perspective on why TypeScript is so lit right now because I, I don't I don't understand like I like TypeScript you know there's it actually reminds me a lot of Kotlin with it, it like just in the syntax like if you look at it with it's got it's like kind of types behind the way it does generics and everything like it looks like Kotlin to me so I, you know it's fine it's great it just doesn't seem very beginner friendly. You really kind of, I think you would normally learn JavaScript and then take it to the next level with TypeScript. I have a hard time thinking of people learning TypeScript first because it, it seems just so much more advanced to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I gotta Mm -hmm. believe that you're a JavaScript developer first. And then you're like, Oh, Hey, and by the way, there's this thing called TypeScript and Oh, like that gives me some cool stuff. But when I don't like that cool stuff getting in my way, I'm just going to go back to whatever the current ECMA standard is. And, or, Oh, Hey, by the way, there's a new ECMA standard feature that isn't yet, you know, compiled to TypeScript, but I can go ahead and do what I need to do. Yes. It's
1: interesting. It's like, so JavaScript has such a huge, like, you know, if you troll around Twitter a little bit, you'll see people, all the time, like, hey, I'm trying to learn JavaScript to get a developer job. You know, that's like a a common sentiment, right? You'll see people all the time, like, hey, how to learn JavaScript, JavaScript, like, it's everywhere, JavaScript and Python. And so to see TypeScript, like, a lot of the TypeScript growth is coming away from the JavaScript growth, and JavaScript's still doing fine. But I think it's a reasonable assumption to think that most people who are going to TypeScript are going there from JavaScript. So it's just kind of interesting to see this, like, kind of a, you know, evolution.
0: Maybe maybe a big part of the rise of TypeScript though, like I'm not trying to dog on it at all, but by any means, like I think, I think it's great, but maybe, maybe the rise of TypeScript has a lot or in part to do with Angular. Because Angular pushes TypeScript as like, here's the de facto standard. Like this is the way we do things in the Angular world. You want to write an Angular app, you're going to use TypeScript, at least in like modern Angular, right? like, maybe not, you know, Angular not one. angular js yeah, right. yeah. That, angular. which by the way can we just like tangent oh, for a it. moment like God. google really <laughs> angular versus angular js i still to this day i'm like which one am i writing in i don't remember is it Angular? i always confuse the two it's frustrating yeah so the
2: easy way to remember it is this the one that you're talking about that goes with typescript they don't put js on that because you're coding it in typescript if you're doing it oh. the
0: angular way so i should call it Angular TS. <laughs> i suppose you could coin that if you wanted but trademark it, it, hash hashtag trademark uh, coding blocks
2: yeah but the the original angular was javascript and so they call it and so it's that's the way i can remember it is that one was angular js the new uh, one i like that just angular. A,
0: a mnemonic m- yeah, mnemonic that is
2: yeah something uh, oh, like that let's not go there again
0: <laughs> yeah we, we I, I don't remember i don't either let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, it's like, try to remember uh, you know what yeah. that's okay it's fine because i just invented a new word so you want to hear my new word yep what is it? plagiarism <laughs> i'll define it later but that's my new word that i just invented very nice <laughs> all right
1: uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, Angular, I think we can credit with a lot of the growth of, uh, TypeScript because, you know, that was the default language. And maybe when people moved on from Angular, because it does seem like Angular is, uh, you know, is definitely flagging in popularity. I think React is like just crushing it. But maybe when people moved from Angular to React, They missed some things about TypeScript, so they brought it over with them.
0: Well, that's why it'd be helpful to know that, like, you know, before making that conclusion, like, okay, is there a rise in Angular and a fall in React, or are they both trending at the same levels, you know, or whatever? Like, you know, but even if Angular, as long as Angular is trending up, it really doesn't, like, React could also be trending up. But if Angular is also trending up, then that could be a rise in TypeScript as a result, right? I don't know. So uh the uh so JetBrains has a section on JavaScript. They have uh
1: they have big sections on every language. I was I wasn't even gonna go into this specific languages because they're so niche. But uh the share of View users grew from thirty four percent in twenty twenty to forty three percent, while view? Angular users Vue view, view uh Angular decreased from twenty three percent last year to eighteen percent in twenty one.
0: Hmm. That is surprising. That
2: really yep. does.
1: And React is number one with 50% of the JavaScript framework. Vue is number two with 43, and uh, Angular is number four with 18.
0: You know what? I take the, the, here's why I take issue with this because clearly the world has not seen my game jam uh, edition mm-hmm. here. And they didn't follow along in my game jam development because if they did, they'd have been like, Oh man, check out this angular. He's writing a game in, in angular. That's amazing. Yeah. And it would, I think that that would have definitely like helped the the popularity of angular. So, you know, I apologize to Google now for not having enough good SEO for making that happen for them. Well, you know what's interesting? Uh, so there's
1: their JavaScript section. I just looked this up. Uh, it does lump in people who uh, chose TypeScript as like primary language and CoffeeScript. So, it says JavaScript, but it's really those three languages. So there's not a separate breakout there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so okay. that's interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so the top uh, five languages that devs are actually learning means, you know, I kind of interpret it as either they're getting new work in these languages or these are just languages that they want to work with. Uh, JavaScript, Python, TypeScript, Java, and Go. So uh, interesting to not see Rust there.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's the language that had all the love from Stack Overflow. So yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm not surprised to see Go in there. Now I am surprised no. to see like Java instead of Rust. You know? I,
2: j- yeah. I, no, not not really? for what devs are like. No, I mean Java is so big in the enterprise software world, or, or just I mean, heck. Look at all the Apache projects out there. Almost every single one of them are written in Java. So it's not surprising that there's a lot of people picking up Java, especially if they're working with open source software at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I fine. Then don't then then don't break apart TypeScript from JavaScript because Rust still seems like it should deserve a place in it. But it wasn't. So you know, I'll move on. But yeah, I'm surprised to see. I agree with Joe is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, You're not surprised to see go in the list. I am surprised to see rust missing from it. Yeah. And I'm also not surprised to see Python in that list or even JavaScript. Yeah. But the TypeScript and the Java ones, I'm kind of like, eh, you could drop either one of those for something else. In my opinion.
1: Uh, Speaking of dropping uh, (laughs) the uh, languages that it fell,
2: uh, Ruby.
1: Yeah. Ruby, which I, I still love Uh, objective C and Scala. So those all, you know, kind of,
0: those were the losers. Um, I mean, really no surprise sorry. there with Objective-C there, right? I mean, yeah. ever Swift. since Swift was introduced, Swift like, was Apple has yeah. pushed that. Like, why would you bother to use the old language that they don't really care for you to use anymore? Right. Yep. You know, when they got the new, you know, like, you could make the same analogy going into, like, a Microsoft world too, right? Like, Microsoft introduced .NET and, uh, you know, C sharp. And yeah, sure. Back in the day when they did that, you were, you technically could keep on doing your MFC C plus plus development if you really wanted to, but here's the shiny new toy over here called C sharp and .net And do you, do you, you sure you don't want to use that? Really? And yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No, no one would, no one would learn objective C by choice. Uh, no, uh, so top accident, five. Is,
0: have you looked at Objective C? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't if I tried.
1: <laughs> so the top five uh, fastest growing: uh, Python, TypeScript, SQL, and Go. That's only four. I don't yeah. know what I did there.
2: Kotlin's <laughs> the other one. Okay, yeah, I, See, I, I was going to call you out on that one.
0: Okay, I take issue though with the way that they put like SQL in here, like in some of these uh, yeah. charts and whatever. Like, because I'm like, well, hold up, wait a minute. Like, is it T SQL? Or is it like PL, PG SQL, or is it like, what's the, uh, it's ANSI SQL. That's what it is. No, man, it's not. (laughs) And that's the problem. Like that, that's, that's exactly what I'm getting at is like, depending on what the the database tool it is, like they're kind of lumping it all into one. So I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Then it goes back to like, well, why not lump in like a TypeScript and a JavaScript then if you're going to, you know, Because you know it's not like you can take SQL Server specific T SQL and just dump it into Oracle or Postgres, yeah or MySQL. So sure.
1: <laughs> uh, and uh, one last thing I want to call out is just the um, the operating system. So they said uh, was it sixty one percent Windows, and uh, the rest was uh, you know other stuff, but forty percent forty four percent OS X, and. Um, the uh, OS X was actually number three, so I'm looking for that stat now, sir. Uh, that is two, now called
0: Mac OS. It
2: is no oh, longer been so OS far. 10 for a while. No, 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 no. See what you misunderstand here, outlaw, is people developing on that are using OS X.
0: <laughs> <It's not laughs> old systems. <laughs> it actually does say Mac OS. I said I did that, uh, well, but um even still, it would be OS 10, not OS X. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always call it OS X, but yeah, I'll, I'll put Mac OS in there in the show notes for so. us. <laughs> I just, uh, I just fixed it. Um, so uh, 47% though. So number two was
1: actually Linux.
0: Interesting. There's another interesting one in here too, that I don't know that if you had on your list about like using the WSL uh, system for local development, did yeah. you see, did you read any of that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I didn't look like, too deeply at it. 65% of the respondents don't use it at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. You know, that was kind of like eh, sad, but then it was like, it was kind of, you know, relatively close between the remaining 35%, 21% that work with tools installed with it uh, in WSL, 17 that uh, work with a project and tools located in WSL, and 14% run their application in WSL.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I don't know what the other means in this scenario, though. (sighs) Um, it about you use it for local development? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, okay, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> I I Those don't write be- my code in it. I don't compile on it, but I like to use it for Git. <laughs> I I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I don't know.
2: I mean, that's actually when you think about it, though, WSL is kind of
0: niche or niche, however you want to say it. Oh, um, I think we agreed so- that the pro- proper pronunciation for that would be nosh nice there. Or, yeah. or nice yeah but
2: having a fifth of your user base using wsl is not terrible you know that's that's actually not bad i wouldn't think
0: well it'd be it more to closer way. to a third right it'd be over a third of the respondents oh you're right it. you're
2: right i was just looking at the 21 percent. yeah a third of a third of the developers are using wsl and windows that's actually pretty good that's that's not bad adoption rate if you're Microsoft looking at saying, hey, are we investing our development resources in the right places? Should we continue doing WSL? If a third of your of your developer base is taking advantage of it, that seems like a pretty good thing.
0: I will say though that I I will admit that I am not a mathematician. And um even though I do follow the daily teachings of the mathematician, I do not understand the jet brain's math here because plus 17 plus 14 plus two is not 35. And in fact, it is greater than 35. So you're you're going with the uh, 65% versus it. Yeah. I don't know
2: how it all breaks down.
0: So I'm guessing that like, maybe that was like a multiple choice that, 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 that 35% breaks down into like multiple choices between those other four answers. That's the only thing. Yeah. yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me because otherwise, but that's a weird way to present your results, I think, in my opinion. Yeah,
2: So so basically, no, I don't use it as 65%. So there's 35% of people out there using WSL for their development purposes in some
0: fashion. I mean, yeah, because like other questions, it makes sense for like where, where it's clearly a multiple choice question. Which platforms do you develop for? Right? right? And it's like 71% backend and 58% front end. And it's right. like, okay, well, that's because you're probably doing both and that makes sense, right? But this WSL question was like, do you use it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by
2: Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for increasing visibility into your
0: Postgres SQL databases. That's right. Create custom drag-and-drop Postgres dashboards within seconds so you can visualize highly granular data and custom metrics in real time. And Datadog's 450
1: plus turnkey integrations make it easy to correlate metrics from your Postgres servers with your other services throughout your environment. And as I am like to do, I am currently browsing their website and just wanting to cry at the beautiful visualizations. I started with Kubernetes. But uh, I thought it'd be fun to go take a look at uh, Google Cloud Platform and uh, Amazon Web Services and just see how well they integrate and what kind of visualizations they have for that. And The amount of information you can get on a single pane of glass is is just astounding. And the crazy thing is, is that it works together to tell you a story. You see right off the bat, am I working? And then very quickly you're able to pivot from, if not, what's wrong? And that's a really, I mean, it just... It's worth a lot, you know, when you're having a problem, there's uh, a lot of things you would uh, you would do to be able to see information that you can just have right here. That's great for development and it's great for uh triaging those production environment in a, in a sense that it could just be awful. So you, you want to get this set up ahead of time.
0: Yeah. And sometimes like, you know, you don't know where that problem is coming from. And that's why it's so that's why observability is so key and so important. And Datadog are really like, I mean, we've, we've referred to them in this regard before they are the thought leaders when it comes to how to monitor all of these different tools. I mean, can we, for a moment, just pause 450 plus turnkey integrations. That is insane. Can you rattle off 450 technologies right now? Because Datadog can, and they've got visualizations for it. That is insane. Do you have a product? Do you work on a product that has 450 plus supported integration points? Datadog does, and they've got you covered. In it, like when when Jay Z talks about like the single pane of glass, you know, even like okay, so I, I mentioned Postgres, uh, uh, you know, a moment ago because why not? We love Postgres, or you know, you want to see you, you're trying to do that in deep dive investigation that joe mentioned right you want to see like okay well what's the latency like how rows are being updated deleted inserted uh what about my sequential scans can i see what's going on there can i see like uh w- what about the heap uh updates what are the top function calls that are happening in my uh postgres cluster what about the number of hosts with replication delay these are the types of things that you're going to f- easily be able to see simply because you are using Datadog with your Postgres database, you're going to get these kind of great visualizations and be able to immediately get the value back from that small investment to see what's happening inside of your application. And, and the point made earlier is like, not only are you able to get that with Postgres, but then you can see like what's happening because of the 450 plus integrations. You can see like, well, okay, how does that then translate to the rest of the traffic as it throws through flows through the rest of my application, right? You need Datadog. Datadog provides real-time service maps, algorithmic alerts, and end-to-end application tracing so you can monitor your systems proactively and detect issues before your customers do.
1: And you can start that monitoring today. And uh, we've got a special offer for you, 14-day trial, and... Here's the offer. Uh, you get a free,
2: super cute Datadog t-shirt after you create just one dashboard. So visit DatadogHQ.com slash blocks to learn more about how you can start monitoring your databases with Datadog. All right. Somebody else doing this bag here because I got weird with it last time and it didn't work. <laughs> All
1: right. <clears throat> hey, Z, here. I'm doing a bag this time alan did a little weird last time so i just want to <laughs> this is even worse right man here.
0: this is so worse yeah. like i gotta take yeah, just, my headphones off this is <laughs> my ears are bleeding listening to this
1: just just want to ask you to uh, leave us a review we try to make it really easy for you so i'm gonna get real close here to the microphone <laughs> no, i'm gonna, <laughs> no, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm can't gonna,
0: even say it with a straight face
1: we am going to whisper this in your ear.
0: I really, I'm not enjoying this. Can I, can I say that? Can I be offended for the whole internet? Yeah, I can't do it anymore. I, Cause I like, like, how about, how about if I just do this as a normal thing and say, like, hey, if you haven't already left us a review, we greatly appreciate you leave a center leaving us a review. And as a reward for you leaving us a review, I will say this beg in a normal voice and you don't have to listen to alan and jay-z get on to their weird late night dj uh you know v- announcer voice and instead you know just do us a favor and leave us a review because we really do appreciate it despite how weird they've made this we that's really nice. do appreciate Thank it very oh nice. god here he goes again
1: <laughs> yeah thanks that's really nice of you
0: <laughs> now you make it sound like we're on npr or something all right well i tried I tried internet and I failed you and I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well then how about, uh, you know, I, I would have treated you, you guys for a joke, but you know what? Forget it. You know, with, with you made things so weird that you don't even deserve it. <laughs> How's that? You like that? We, we like jokes, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You know, I'm going to just go read my book. You know, I don't need you guys. I'm going I'm to go. I'm gonna go. Yeah. I'm gonna, I started reading. Actually, I started reading a new book last night on the history of glue before bed, and I just couldn't put it down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Look at how much I got him. That's really good. Uh, yeah, you, well, the, you
1: can the hits thank, just keep coming.
0: You can thank Mike RG for that one. So, oh, I mean, and you. you probably knew that one before I even said it. So that it was going to be Mike RG because like, why wouldn't it be? Oh. Um, That's awesome. All right. So uh, it's now time for my favorite portion of the show is the part where we say the beg normally. Okay. (laughs) No, just kidding. Uh, It's survey says. All right. Um, Let's see. A few episodes back, we asked how important is it to learn advanced programming techniques? And your choices were extremely important. You got to keep sharpening that saw or, Eh, it might be important, but not enough to go out of your way. You'll learn it as you go. Or wait, there's advanced programming techniques? Like what, switch statements? Or it's not important at all because there's already a Stack Overflow answer for it. All right, so this is episode one hundred sixty four, according to, to Tetutco's trademark patent pended uh rules of engagement here. Jay Z, you are up first
1: advanced programming techniques uh well let's go um oh jeez uh, oh jeez uh extremely
2: important with uh 70 percent oh you're so losing meh it might be important I want to go 50 percent but it's probably way higher
0: Okay, so uh, Jay-Z, extremely important. you got to keep sharpening that saw at a whopping 70%. That's confidence right there, Alan. You need to learn from him. Yeah. And uh, Alan goes, eh, might be important, but not enough to go out of your way. You'll learn it as you go at 50%. According to our rules, you both lost because you both went over. But... If we were to give it by, uh, you know, horseshoes uh, kind of rules here of who's closest, then Alan, uh, meh, was the number one answer, and you just barely overshot the 50%. Oh, It was man. 49% of the vote. Dude. So we both lost. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Way to harp on the negative there. We're like, yep. <laughs> you heard what you wanted to hear, and you're like, oh, I'm going to stick with that one.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We tried. Yeah. We both failed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you did well. Technically, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, Where did extremely important fall? I've got to imagine it was somewhere
0: near the bottom. What? No, it was second, forty three percent. Second. Oh, wow, okay. close oh, second. That's, All right. It's pretty high. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it was pretty much those two. Like the other ones, really didn't you know register. All right. All right. So yeah. Um, that is the internet. We have solved all of the internet's problems now, and we know that we need to be sharpening the saw. All right. So, uh, for this episode's, uh, survey, we ask, and this one is kind of fitting, you know, given, given our, uh, previous, uh, love affair for, uh, jet brands that we mentioned, what's your IDE of choice and your choices are, I prefer a lightweight IDE such as Visual Studio Code or Atom. Or, I like a fully functional IDE like Visual Studio or IntelliJ. Or, I like to use editors like Vim and tell others it's an IDE. Or, I like to use editors like Notepad++ or Sublime, bury myself in plugins so that it can act like an IDE.
1: All right, well, I'm not going to answer.
0: Yeah, I expect to get some hate mail about that one. Um, so <laughs> I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to answer. Direct all your hate mail to Joe on Slack. Yeah, that's yeah. me. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, um, I mean, I, I feel a little tact here. How about we talk about a little lifestyle
0: and fun? Okay, so sure. This is a, a like, section. Is this like, like skateboarding and mountain biking kind of stuff? uh yeah actually it's kind of not uh, oh because
1: you ever like, <laughs> i was fully expected uh i mean there is a there's a hobby question but it was actually more about just kind of like life in general
0: did you ever like were you guys ever like into skateboarding i know i know like J- joe and i go biking but uh were you ever in like skateboarding or anything like that as a kid or bmx or no,
2: anything? yeah
1: <clears throat> i was terrible i could never do it well i wanted to
0: yeah, I, I broke my arm in three places, and the doctor told me not to go to those places anymore. So,
2: <laughs> right. nice. Yeah, and uh, G? Yeah, of
1: course. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Micro G is the best. Yes. Uh, so, uh, it's just a couple of samples of the kind of questions they did ask. It's like, uh, do you give away money to charity or do you donate your time? Uh, do you have a pet? Uh, what hobbies do you pursue in your free time? And. Am I looking at the 2020 survey? Hold on a second
0: here. Is that one of the survey questions? That's an odd one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, uh, one thing we didn't mention is um, you can actually see their uh, their surveys from previous years. So uh, that's funny. I was looking at uh, 2020 briefly,
0: so but well, how, still,
1: same kind of thing. How about this uh, one? This,
0: yeah, I'm curious to know how you guys would rank on this one. Uh, for the 2021, because I'm going to be current. I like to be topical with my questions, Joe. Yeah. Um, I don't like to ask questions from 10 years ago. But <laughs> when you write a check at the at the grocery store when you're in line... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> how often do you... Mo- how do you pay most often? Like what kind of met- payment method do you use? Your choices are payment card, mobile payment, cash, a digital wallet, QR code, SMS, or other. Surprisingly, Bitcoin... Or digital like uh, cryptocurrency isn't on the list.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely do payment card. I if I can use uh, mobile payment though, like uh, I have a few apps that I use it for, and then I absolutely do that. Like uh, food, places I pick up food often, I absolutely just do that online. And uh, you know, it, it, like it's got my card saved, whatever you know, done. So like Starbucks or whatever, you just BB. Beep, beep.
0: Well, I was assuming that mobile payment meant things like a Samsung pay or an Apple yeah. pay. Agreed. Like they're yeah. not referring to having your card saved in their profile right. because then you're still just using a credit card, which I would assume is what they meant by payment card. Yeah. Which payment card? see
2: with your it, phone.
0: Yeah. yeah. Payment payment card was the uh, number one choice. I guess technically digital wallet might count, might cover the cryptocurrency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah know, maybe about Those, yeah. It.
2: mine's a, mine's the card tap to pay is uh, many code. places as I can. Like, who's doing QR code payments? Yeah. Like, don't do I that. Don't
0: I didn't realize I could like make a QR code for a hundred bucks and use it to pay stuff. I'm gonna go make to go find a QR code <laughs> generator right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put Oh, yeah. you
2: need a, oh you want a check? I thought you needed money. Yeah. <laughs> I just paid <made> the whole <laughs> thing
1: off. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, oh, here's a question. Like, what source of information do you use in general? I have not seen this um, question on the, the surveys. Um, so 76% of uh, community forums, YouTube, to social media, uh, down quite a bit, but still got to see it. Uh, podcasts is at 31%. Uh, the state of the JS survey asked, like, what podcast people listen to. And I've seen it kind of asked in different uh, ways, but it's just kind of cool to see podcasts listed as a source of information. Like a lot of uh, surveys still kind of treat it as entertainment. So.
0: Have you heard ah. this show, Joe?
1: Yeah, I know. This is for all sure. about information and like you know, trying to help. What we call it, funtainment or infotainment or something? Yeah, infotainment. Yeah, infotainment. So it's up there. It's over TV.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, but pretty cool. Um, it is kind surprising of surprising that Wikipedia. I mean, uh, not Wikipedia. Uh, YouTube would be up as high for like learning something like that. That's yeah. kind of an interesting one. But but also. Like uh actually I guess I'd want to know this question better cuz social media like when they say social media like are people like going to Facebook to learn like they're just looking at their timeline to learn how to code in TypeScript and just hoping yeah. that like you know their mom or dad or college roommate also know TypeScript <laughs> Yeah that is interesting. I wonder if it's like you follow people on Twitter that
2: have blogs and then you go read those blogs. I'm wondering if that's kind of like what that leads to. Maybe yeah,
1: I do that. Uh, I follow a lot of technical, you know, people on Twitter and, uh, so yeah. So uh, that's why I kind of imagine it's like, I definitely use the, uh, use it as kind of a professional venue more than anything else. And, uh, there was a, a survey question, maybe it wasn't on this section, but, um, they did ask about like ways that you prefer to learn and, um, reading was quite a bit higher than video, but, um, depending on the country, they actually broke it out. Uh, maybe it was under demographics uh, certain countries were like very much more prone. I think uh, India was very much higher on video, for example, than they were on reading. Most other countries were
0: higher on reading. I mean, educative. I'm sure would love to to know that, right? Because I mean, that's a big part of their pitch is the fact that you don't have to sit through a whole video to watch yep. it. You can just read the parts that you care about and skim skim around through it. Yeah, so maybe that was under demographics. I bet it was. Let's see reading. You know, one thing
2: I do like on this particular page, and this is good for anybody that's doing any information, you know, writing stuff for people, uh, the, do you use your smartphone to read professional materials? 80% of people said yes. So that's probably pretty important. Like if you're writing content that, that, you know, you want people to be able to read and learn from, then, uh, it, make it accessible on those devices.
0: As Michael heads over to CodingBlocks.net to check how well it looks on the mobile, just should, be pretty, should be, be pretty good. Just kidding, just kidding. Yep. So I'm
1: still trying to find where that was, but it, anyway, it's so, it's somewhere in here. This this survey is really big. <laughs> I hadn't mentioned that before, but the, counting four times, three, four, five, six. So there's 24 sections to the survey results here and it goes into uh, uh, like half of that's like languages basically so you're probably not going to read all those
0: but i mean uh, we've got like what two or three in so far so we're doing good on time (laughs) doing good (laughs) uh
1: Uh, yeah so uh here's a funny one for you 74 percent of respondents use online ad blocking tools ad blocker or i use a pie hole oh it's kind of funny
0: yeah i i uh I use some. Um, I use or, or uBlock Origin on my desktop, but uh, I do use uh, one on iOS as well. that's yep. I think what's called like Purity or something like that. I yeah, use the like, Brave browser.
1: Now, of course, you we're know, having a Purified. content or you know oriented business. You know, if we like, we get ad revenue. Like, you kind of feel bad. But the thing is, like, so many sites like just absolutely abuse. Like, you go to a Buzzfeed or something. And, like, I think there's a website in there somewhere. Yeah. You know, good luck finding it. It's ridiculous. Uh, so accounts, uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. So um, g- most people, uh, 84% had a GitHub account. Reddit was way down at 47%, which uh, I, I was surprised by.
2: Yeah, that is. Uh,
1: yeah, where was that section? Yeah. And but so, I guess uh,
0: it's like really easy, though, to like have your favorite subreddits and not bother to like participate in any true. of it. Right. Just be a, a reader. Yeah. Whereas with GitHub, you probably have that account not because you're like participating in repos that aren't yours, but because you're using it for your own stuff.
2: Yeah. Or if you, it, yeah, I guess because you can clone even without an. No, you still have to have an account to clone. No, too, you right? can
0: clone locally. What you couldn't okay. do is fork and you okay. know, host it on on GitHub without having it. Okay. Without having the account, but you could you could absolutely just click on that clone URL and get it get a copy of the code and. As long as you're never trying to push it back up to GitHub, then it doesn't matter.
2: Well, you know, you know, Jay-Z said that he was surprised that the the Reddit one was so low. But after GitHub, it falls off a cliff to yeah, the next totally. one. It's 84% to 58% for a Twitter user. So it's a big drop,
0: just even to number two. Well, yeah. And then like everything from Twitter through Reddit are like similar you know, there's not there's not a lot of there's not a lot of distance between those, you know, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Stack Overflow, and Reddit.
1: Right. I'm you know, sorry, I was bouncing around again, looking at uh, last year's surveys. Uh, it's it's a li- laid out just a differently enough that it's kind of difficult
0: to <laughs> click around easily. But uh, yeah, so. Um, They do have on here, like, you know, how how much do you like the Baldung website for sharing, uh, you know, your Java tips and everything? And I just wanted to let the internet know that um, one Mr. Alan Underwood did happen to send me a link where, like, I was asking something. I don't even remember what the topic was. And Alan was like, oh, here, check this out. And he sent me, wait for it. What was the link to, Alan? What was Uh, it? It was was your favorite website. Come on, say it with me. But it shows up on every Java search. Like you, you've got to go out of your way to avoid it. I just found it hilarious that you were like dogging on it last time, and then like no sooner than we get past that episode, you're like, "Hey, here's a link. Here's something helpful."
2: Hey, and I even no, I didn't (laughs)
0: say here's something helpful. (laughs) Look, this is what Maven Rapper
2: is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. That's what it was. That's what it was about. It was about Maven Rapper. We were talking about uh, Maven versus Maven Rapper.
2: Yeah. I hate Bell though
0: yeah one of them had oh. a, one of them had some successful gold albums, and the other one didn't is the way oh, I it, the way I remember <laughs> it uh, so uh, I found the uh, s I was
1: looking for so fifty fifty seven percent of people uh prefer learning via reading fifty two or sorry forty two percent video and they didn't mention uh India as being the opposite with uh seventy percent choosing video hmm.
0: uh audio one percent wow. Yep. We're losing. Here's one that so, Alan would like. Which sort of headphones do you mainly use? Oh, I did. I saw that one. Yeah. yeah wireless is up there finally. Yep. But
2: it, Thank you, Apple? They,
0: they were both about the same though. Right. I want to say um, yeah, it was 39 and 35, uh, 39 yeah. and 34, 34 for wired, 39 for wireless. Yeah. I use them both. Well, both equally was 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then 8% are monsters because they don't use them at all. <laughs> yeah no thanks I was wearing headphones all day it was great
1: uh, so um, they did have some pretty uh, interesting kind of comparisons on workplace we won't go through all that but um, just kind of seeing like from last year to this year like the most common lunch went to uh, cooked at home compared to last year which is definitely not <laughs> it's just kind of funny to see like oh yeah uh, things like uh, what time people started for work stayed about the same though so it's kind of interesting because people kept their schedules mostly uh, despite the year and video games, uh, number one hobby, up from number two. Last year, uh, programming was listed as the number one hobby. So either people played
0: more video games, or maybe they just you know kind of changed their uh, habits a little bit. Maybe they had more time because they didn't have that commute. So they were yeah. able to like you know get in some more relaxation by way of video game.
1: Absolutely. Now, uh, the next section, I'm going to ask you not to go look at it. Oh, shoot yeah don't look I'm at i'm just it. kidding i won't next section is about databases so um there's a couple interesting stats there we'll, which we'll look at in a second um you know or maybe i'll just tell you just kind of prime the pump here a little bit uh databases used in the last uh, 12 months MySQL, 61 percent way up there postgres 36 redis sqlite uh mongo down to 28 sql server uh, sql server is 19 so you know all the kind of usuals um and the ones where, like, SQL's primary language, again, like, MySQL, Postgres, Redis was up there this time, um, where you made the list, Mongo, and then it kind of drops off a cliff after Oracle. <clears throat> now, here is a graph that I am still figuring out how to read that I thought was really interesting. If I tell you a language, do you think you could guess what the most popular database is?
2: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. So, um, what about Kotlin?
2: Mongo.
1: MySQL. It's a little hard to read.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say uh, MySQL for all of them.
1: (laughs) I should say. So let me rephrase the question a little bit. What we're looking for is the relative popularity of the database by primary program language, which is to say that um, if I tell you a language like Kotlin, you're looking not necessarily for the one that's most popular, because that would be MySQL, right, based on the other answer, but rather what is more common in Kotlin than it is in other
0: languages? Does that make sense? Okay. Like what database technology is more com- commonly paired with Kotlin? Yeah. Okay. And it is with other languages. So like. And and by database, we're talking about rela- like a relational database manager, or are we talking about like document or are we talking about like streaming? Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like how. Yeah. So I'll tell you, it's a, it's a list of eight.
1: MySQL, Postgres, Redis, SQLite, Mongo, Maria, uh, SQL Server, and Oracle.
2: But more used in, in Kotlin than in other, not not what's the most used in Kotlin, but what's more frequently paired with Kotlin than in other yeah. languages. Yeah, right. So I'm going to say Oracle. Relatively popular. I'm going to say Oracle.
1: So Oracle with Kotlin, negative uh, 15%. So
0: if you're using Kotlin. I somehow or, owe you some Oracle.
1: Yeah, you are a little less likely to be using Oracle. You are much more likely to be using SQLite relative
2: to other languages. Interesting. Uh, I was not going to guess SQLite. And you know why that is? I can tell you exactly why. Because Kotlin was originally, it it is like the default programming language for Android. Yep. And Android, you're going to do SQLite databases for on-phone database Uh, types. That's
1: it. That makes a lot of sense. That's funny. So, yeah. So, you can kind of see, like, if you think about this stuff. Uh, Postgres uh, a little higher too, so 7%. And I would kind of say like Oracle, that was my first guess too. But I kind of think if we look at Java, guess what? Oracle, Oracle, 91% more likely to, you know, know, relative to Java. So I think like Kotlin, maybe more greenfield applications and Android, stuff like that. And so they're getting away from uh, Oracle. So you can kind of make some inferences there based on what you know about these languages is interesting. I'll give you an easy one.
2: Oh, God. C Sharp. What would you say, C-sharp? Yeah. Uh, SQL Server. (laughs) This one's the biggest.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: Wrong. Dang it, Uh, so so
1: close. SQL Server, 222% more likely to be using uh, (laughs) SQL Server by far. The only one that even broke 100, I believe. So, yeah, if you're working with C-sharp, you're far more likely. Uh, Second most likely is uh, SQLite again.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and everything else is negative. Uh, Oracle is actually zero. So you're, you know, your are average, but uh, yeah, everything else. Like if you're working in C sharp, you probably are working in SQL server, maybe SQLite, and you're probably not working in anything else.
0: So I'm the weirdo for using, uh, doing C sharp development with Postgres is yes. what I'm hearing.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, uh, uh,
0: that's uncommon.
1: It's only negative seven, though, so it's not that far off. Okay. (laughs) But it is uncommon. So we can kind of ask this another way. Let me see here. Would that make me like a hipster
0: kind of like, you know, because I'm not quite like, you know, as as like cliche and normal as the rest of you. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah." Well, we could pivot it. Oh. So we could say, like, if you tell me you're using Postgres, we could try to guess what language you're using. And this is not really a fair question because a lot of it, you know. You'd have to also say like, what's the popularity of the language? But if you had to guess, Postgres SQL, what language is uh, uses relatively more Postgres than any other language? Python. See here, sixteen percent. That. That's not a bad answer. Would you believe the answer is Ruby? Oh, I definitely wow! Would there's I would a say very that. strong correlation, ninety uh, percent between Ruby and Postgres. Okay, Rust is up there too. 65%. Well, we'll do a couple more. Um, Go, what database do you think what were most they, likely to say be? Say the databases or, again. Uh, MySQL, Postgres, Redis, SQLite, Mongo, Maria, MS SQL, or you know SQL Server, Oracle Database.
2: Go? I'm either going Redis or Mongo. Good
1: call. Uh, Redis, Redis, Redis is number well. one. Uh, it was 96%, and Mongo is 41%. Yeah, If you're using Go, then you are uh, relatively much less likely to be using SQL Server or Oracle.
0: That makes sense. Yep. Yeah.
1: So, let's see if there's anything else particularly interesting here. Um let's see, if you're Swift to SQLite again because of the is uh, what do you think about uh TypeScript? Oh, um probably SQLite. See uh no slightly less there.
2: Um, oh man, I'm horrible TypeScript you said? Yep. I'm gonna go MySQL. So in this case, it's actually
1: uh you're more likely to be using Mongo uh, relatively. It's so hard, I don't even know how to say it.
2: Well object yeah, because it's object storage basically. Yep. You just store the JavaScript objects. What about PHP? Oh, MySQL. All day long. Yeah. Not even a question.
1: Yeah, so it's
2: it's much higher. It's forty eight
1: percent higher, uh, more likely to be using you know compared to the average. However, uh, Maria DB one hundred seventeen percent. Really, that was the only which, other one that was which 100. is a port
2: of MySQL. I mean, that's yeah, fork of it. Hmm. Yeah.
0: so it's yeah, kind of interesting
1: yeah. to see like there's some part of the community that's a uh, PHP that uses Maria at a much higher percentage than any other language. That's hmm. for
0: the secure uh, uh, WordPress sites. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> for the good ones that's right
1: yeah so now you can look at this section and, and yeah like the database stuff is otherwise pretty much in line with uh what we've seen in other places i'm surprised to see MySQL so high but now that we know that the survey was uh, you know like did some waiting to try and kind of balance things out that makes more sense to me because i just i don't really think about MySQL and jet range products together
0: i mean you know data grip can do amazing things so i'm not going to hold it against you you want to like yeah. use DataCrypt to connect to your MySQL database? Go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all about it. Uh, so DevOps section, uh, they got uh, interesting graph. I took note. Are we allowed to look again
0: now, or are we? Yeah. still okay. Yep, yep.
1: There was something I thought was interesting about the uh, how familiar you are with Docker, but no. oh yeah, okay. Here we go. So twenty six percent said. I know what Docker is, but haven't used it. Uh, and other than that, though, um, yeah, never mind. I don't know what I thought was interesting here. <laughs> uh, if you're back end developer, you're much more likely to have interacted with Docker. 88% compared to 65% on front end. So no real big surprise there. Uh, I like this one though. They call out, they have a little uh, set aside here It says DevOps engineers are two times more likely to be architects and 30% more likely to be leads. Oh wow. So, yeah. What does that tell you? Is it DevOps people, uh, people who've gotten into that are maybe early adopters or maybe they're, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's some correlation there.
0: I, I would think that, uh, you know, you have, it's because you have a bigger picture like mm-hmm. you have a better idea, big picture of what's going on. You're not focused on just that one thing. How the entire system interacts. Yeah. yeah it's
2: a it's definitely an overarching role.
0: So I think the takeaway here, this should have been in our DevOps handbook, is like you want to make more money, get into DevOps. Yeah. Become yeah. a DevOps engineer. Wait, <laughs> okay. no. Not make it that. part of your culture. Wait. <laughs> oh dang it, Alan. I see what you did. You tricked me. I That's don't right. like this anymore. Can we read? Well, it? I, you're listening to Code in Box, episode 164. Oh, sorry, uh,
1: it's, it's not in this section, but uh, in the miscellaneous section, uh, there was another correlation that you might be interested in. If you do DevOps, you're more likely to have more RAM and just better computers in general. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> it's, well, it's nice to be. Wait, so, is it nice to be in DevOps because you get a better computer, or is it crappy to be in DevOps because you need a better?
0: Because you are trying right. to run the entire data center on your laptop, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. Right.
0: So they're like, yeah. okay, well, we'll give you enough power to power the sun, and we're going to filter it into this i nine Mac you got here. And yep. as soon as you turn it on, it's going to melt. So go you r- go put it in your freezer of your refrigerator to turn it on.
1: Yep. And they had some pretty funny stuff. So basically, like if you want more RAM, uh, you should be DevOps, an architect, a data analyst, uh, analyst uh, lead, or a CEO.
0: It just sounds because like whoa. DevOps. Like DevOps is the way. And if you want things to to go good for you, you need to be in a DevOps. And yeah. therefore, we just make it a cultural thing. And now <laughs> I've won. I, I beat Alan.
1: Well, yeah. Here's another good stuff for you. So, uh, so uh, solid state drive, eighty uh, percent now. Say eighty percent of the developers who responded said they have it, but if you work with Kubernetes,
0: ninety percent. And again, you're more likely to have more than average RAM. I mean, if you're if you're, I don't care what kind of development you're doing. If you're not on an SSD, uh, you you officially have. I feel for you, right? Because, like, especially especially like I mean, you say do it, and and that's a case. You know, if you're like able to control your own destiny because you're like a contractor, you know, or whatever, and you can buy your own equipment. But if, if your employer, you know, if you're in an employment situation, like the majority of the world and your employer isn't yet providing you with an SSD, like, Oh man, I feel for you. that sounds awful. I mean,
2: even a slow SSD is light years better than a spinning oh, yeah. drive. Yeah. yeah. yep.
0: I would, I would honestly ask him. I like just, if, what if I provide my own? What if I give you right. an SSD and I'm like, Merry Christmas, will you install this in my computer? You can keep it when I leave. Right. Right. I don't care. Yeah.
1: Well, uh here's a here's a fun stat: Um Kubernetes dead. What? <laughs> it's leveled out. We've hit peak. Uh so they went from 16% to 29% of dev- developers working with dev uh, with sorry, Kubernetes uh, from 2018 to 2019. Then it rose to 40% in 2020, and it stayed there in 2021. So maybe we've hit peak Kubernetes.
0: Yep. It's Wait, am maker. I looking at the same one where it's like, what cont- container orchestration services do you use And Kubernetes? Is it 37?
1: Uh, am I looking at the wrong thing? I was looking at the, they have a little note to the side there until this year. Oh, the popularity I see of Kubernetes, it. But it is next to that graph. So now I'm wondering about it. Oh
0: yeah. I don't know. That's weird. Oh, so. it just says it stopped increasing. It, yeah, but they don't call out that it went down, right? It's, so this is awkward. It's just plugged yeah. So through.
1: I'm not sure they, they do have a link. Um, so they publish the raw data every year, but uh, they haven't published it yet for 21. They're still uh, doing some scrubbing on it. I guess
0: they do have a coming soon banner. So maybe we can kind of look and see exactly where they got that from. This is weird though, too. That like they break apart like Kubernetes versus um, Amazon EK uh, EKS, which is Amazon's Kubernetes. So that's an awkward distinction to make because then like, you know, well, why didn't you break apart like Azure's, uh, Kubernetes environment or Google's GKE environment or, uh, you know, Linode's or whoever else is right. Like, uh, it just seems like a weird distinction to break out that one Kubernetes provider yeah. and not just bake it in. Because if you did bake it in, like this is where that other that other one where the, the question was weird and the results didn't add up to 100% because they had like, you know, looked like some of them were like both kind of thing. Like it, Amazon EKS is 7% and Kubernetes is 37 So if I add those up, then... You know, obviously I'm at 44%, so that would be an increase, right? But yep. maybe they also had those separated for some reason last year too? I don't know. Yeah, hard, it's hard
1: to really say. Uh, one thing I did see as interesting is uh, they uh, for hosting, they said 53% were uh, in the cloud. Um, so I thought that was
0: pretty interesting. Uh, so, you know, it's over half. Wait, now, where are the other where's the other 47% of the internet being hosted from? They're they're their, their, their uh, basement. So
1: private servers was 50 uh 51%, which is also so you know over half. So you this is one of those that you add ads up to more than 100%. Uh, 46% is locally, so in the closet. 1%
0: is other, so I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Somebody else's house. I don't know. I mean, I question like that large percentage that's hosting it themselves. Like, are they referring to Google? And the Google employees were like, "Well, even though we have our own cloud, I guess I can't count that as that because that is us." Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I uh, okay, we'll move on. What's kind of
1: funny about them from the if you, they got a little comparison you can easily do between twenty twenty and twenty twenty here. Uh, what's interesting is yeah. all of the percentages except for other went up. So last year, clouds went uh, went from 51 to 53. Private went from 49 to 51. And locally went from uh, 44% to 46%. So everyone's just... What that tells us is that hybrid has become more popular in 2021 because everything went up except for other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they're counting that. Like, if you're doing hosting locally... But it's in, like, because you have your own Kubernetes cluster in your own data center, right? I mean, yeah. you're still taking advantage of, like, cloud-like technologies in that case, right? And you're doing things in a cloud-like way. You're just, you happen to be the the provider of the cloud at, at that point. Yeah.
1: Uh, um, here's the one that you're, that you're really going to buck at.
0: Okay. Bring it.
1: Which cloud services do you use? You want to guess at what's number one? are you looking? I mean, really is, I mean, who's going to take down Amazon. Okay. Yeah. So 64% for Amazon. Uh, and if you ask DevOps engineers, even higher
2: at 71%, Who's number two? Yeah. I saw what you put in the notes, so I'm not going to say, but it's surprising to me.
1: Yeah. And this so they've got number two as Google, uh, cloud platform, which that's I mean that's what that's what I use, but um that's so far from everything I've ever heard. Where like as you know, Amazon yeah, and it, like everything I've ever heard is, is has had Azure as number two by a big lead,
2: yeah, like massive, massive yeah. lead. And so I feel like there's something wrong with the survey there. I agree too because if you look at this, it, I mean, look they're saying Amazon Web Services is 64. percent GCP 25, Azure 22. So not much of a difference. Yeah. And then digital oceans, not very much further behind at 15%. And I find that hard to believe in terms of, you know, real cloud adoption. Yeah.
0: Well, no. Okay. Because if you're talking about like, if, if the people that you're, you're asking the question to, and they're answering the point from from their personal perspectives, Right, not what they use at work, but what they use for themselves. Right, then you might say like, well, I use DigitalOcean for my stuff, or I use a Linode or whatever. Right, or yeah, you know, fair. even GCP has a lot of a lot of. I remember like there for a while, like Google was really pushing a lot of free stuff uh, with GCP, and, and Microsoft is too. With like, you can get yeah. Azure credits, like. I mean, if you're using Visual Studio products, chances are you already have Azure credits that you might not even realize. And and Google does that stuff, similar stuff all the time, too, where they're just giving away credits. So those kind of answers make sense if it's coming from the perspective of like, you know, if the respondents were answering it in the mindset of this is what I do myself personally, not answering it from the point of view of what is my, uh, work you know what is what do i what i use professionally
2: yeah i don't know but that whole context that you're throwing out there would also color every single other thing that we've talked about so far right like it it would it would change a lot of stuff
0: so i don't i don't, I don't know. know would it i mean like one of them was like what are you going to learn right like where where are your are in learning that's not necessarily because of professional it's just where you want to go in your career right So, I I mean, I I see your point, but I'm, I'm just trying to like, if I put that, if I, if I, if I put those rose colored glasses on to, to view this, then it makes sense. Yeah. And even Amazon being as popular as it does still makes sense because there's a lot of good reason because it is such a popular one. There's still a lot of good reason to go target it to, you know, in your, in your free time to understand it and learn it. So uh, I did go back and look at last year and the same. They
1: had Google's number two. Uh, I looked back at uh, 2019, the same with Google uh, being number two ahead of Azure. And one thing they do say is um, they found that Google Cloud Platform, their share of developers using them for cloud is much higher with people doing Kubernetes. And I don't call that out for 2021. But they do say here specifically is like we see more Kubernetes adoption for people using GCP or and to say it another way, if you're using Kubernetes, you're more likely to be on Google Cloud
0: than some of these other platforms and some, you know, I mean, so, on. so I think that makes sense, too, though, right? Like, I mean, I mean yeah. Google made Kubernetes, so. You know, there's it it, it, it it makes a lot of sense to me, like, well, why wouldn't you use like if you were already going to invest your time into Kubernetes? Why wouldn't you use Google? Yeah. You know, Unless you have like thing. a strong reason to stay because, you know, you have free Azure credits, for example, or whatever, or you're like already baked so heavily into the Microsoft world that you wanted to stay there. Like, I could see using uh, Google for that reason. Uh, here's, a,
1: here's another way to look at
0: it. So, uh, you know, typically
1: you hear AWS number one, uh, Azure number two, and like they're even kind of close. Is it possible that articles that I'm searching for right now, looking at it, a lot of them compare based on revenue? Yeah, Is this possible that there are more developers using GCP, but less money being spent there? And maybe part of that has to do with like Firebase and like these Google services that are written around mobile and Android and stuff. So maybe people are using GCP because it kind of comes along bundled with some of the stuff. But all they're doing is paying for a little bit of a NoSQL database.
2: Yeah, that's possible. I was actually looking just what you were talking about with by revenue and there's an article on parkmycloud.com. I don't know exactly. I guess they're getting their numbers from different um you know, reporting when when Amazon has to report and all that. But it looks like AWS reported revenue of 13.5 billion dollars for Q1 2021. For a quarter. Uh, For a quarter. Uh, Which, by the way, that's all the freaking VMs and stuff that everybody forgot to turn off. Um, (laughs) uh, And then it looks like if what I'm seeing here, and it's hard to say from the way that they've written it, but Azure grew to $15.1 so even more. And then Google Cloud, they're showing for the same quarter, was 4.047 billion. Yeah. So it's
0: like a third of the other two. Yeah. Uh, and Azure's even number almost. one there.
2: Yeah. In terms of in, revenue. Based on spend. In terms yeah. of revenue, right. Maybe For not a quarter. usage, but revenue per quarter, it looks like the Azure's got a slight lead over AWS and they're both kicking GCP's tail in terms of just money,
0: money I mean, coming in. This is a, this would be a weird reason, but just because of like um what was that, that project that the defense department had, the Jedi project, I think is what they called it. And like, like really all of the competition was between, you know, Amazon and Microsoft. Like you never heard yep. Google come up in that. So just from that alone would be reason for me to suspect that like, okay, number one position is Amazon. Number two is, is Azure and me, you know, then there's everybody else.
2: But it, it really is a good point though of you know, just because more money's going in there doesn't mean that it's being used more by by developers or being adopted by a devil. It, it's it's interesting. It's definitely interesting.
0: Maybe one company but, knows how to price their product better and that's how And that's winning.
2: very possible. Or they bundle it or sell it better or what it, like I wouldn't be surprised if some of this stuff comes along when like when you get Office three sixty five stuff, people buy into that because um, for instance, like you can get information about um, your security in in your your Office 365 subscription, right? Um, using their cloud services, so it kind of depends on buying
0: into the ecosystem. So, yeah, or like it, if you're in Office 365, then you know having uh, uh, Azure Active Directory makes a lot of sense. You know, right, right. So yeah, this is this is actually pretty. Pretty insightful. You could bundle your cloud service with uh, Word twenty twenty one Professional Edition. Uh, you know, microservice edition.
2: <laughs> microservice <laughs> edition. Uh, speaking of, isn't that what we have next here?
0: Yeah. So, wow. Here,
2: look at that.
1: get ready for another another big surprise. What a segue! Thirty five percent of respondents said they're developing microservices do they know what
2: microservices really are?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's why I got to wonder. It's like, so you see the Kubernetes numbers and you're thinking, okay, people are definitely running multiple services. Maybe they're counting that as microservices. Maybe there's some confusion about that term. I don't know, but it's, I mean, it seems crazy to me.
2: Yeah. That, that, I, I I truly question whether or not people are calling it what it really is. Like, when did the microservices term start? Oh, man, oh, it's, it's been, been a over while. a decade. Yeah, it's been a
1: while. Okay. Okay. So, I was going to say, like, I have a hard time thinking that 35% of developers are working on code that was started in the last five years, even. <laughs> you know?
2: You know, I mean, I guess technically, it, it, it's so hard, right? Like, if you're talking about microservice architectures done with queues and all that kind of stuff, like, i I. Man, maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's a bunch of people writing scalable platforms. Um, I, I don't know I'm, maybe it is that high.
1: Well, okay. So here, let's, let's look at the top five, uh, languages for, uh, microservices. Java. Okay, yeah. fine. you know, uh, I'll buy that. JavaScript. like, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, it's, it's okay to write lightweight, you know, it's, it's easy to write lightweight things. Python, uh, you know, sure. SQL. Dang it. Get out of here. All right, fine. PHP. Who's writing PHP microservices?
0: Yeah, I mean, don't go offending anybody. Like, what's wrong with
2: you? But okay, honestly, but but wait a second. Even SQL as a microservice seems off. Yeah, it seems like a weird quicker survey where maybe they said, like,
1: you know, what's your primary language? And someone picks SQL and they said, Are you doing microservices? I said, Yeah. So maybe that's how they got there.
2: Yeah, it doesn't feel right. I honestly even JavaScript as microservice doesn't feel necessarily doesn't right. right. I'm not saying that it, it couldn't happen. Like you can totally do it, but it doesn't feel like the uh, I, I don't know, it doesn't it, it doesn't feel right. Well TypeScript is number six, so <laughs> yeah,
0: okay.
1: there's more goes. like no one's doing okay, no one's doing no one's writing a service, a microservice in TypeScript. Not yet. The, I
0: mean, where do they call in a service is the question. That's yeah. the question. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. That's the only thing I think of is that people say, yeah, we, I mean, we got a couple of class, We got a couple services, you know, some Amazon web services. So I mean, pretty small.
0: Because like, like when I think of a, when I think of a service, like you don't know implementation details, like SQL, like you're going to make like a rest call, for example, maybe, uh, you know, and, and you're going to like, Post something and get back a result, but you don't know like, oh, I'm opening a database connection to this SQL thing, and I know what version of that data. Like, that seems like way too many details to know that.
2: Dude, this is where
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. This is where I I call baloney on some of this stuff. So down
2: further on the You heard it here here. first. Alan has called baloney. Like what (laughs) approaches do you use in your system design? Eighty eight percent of people said microservices yeah that's one of my approaches (laughs) i
0: i I don't buy it (laughs) yeah i mean maybe it's don't knock it man it's one of the approaches they look at they're like okay here's all the possible ways we could do this microservices want to you know what let's forget the microservices let's move on we've gotten it out of our way (laughs) yeah i I don't know yeah I, i don't
2: so, I, yeah, I have a so, tough time with that. I think honestly, people are mixing up service-oriented architecture with microservices. Is what I think is happening here. Yeah, because service-oriented architecture is listed as number two here, so it dropped from eighty-eight percent using microservices to thirty-five percent doing the SOA. Um, yeah, I I just uh, I'm struggling with that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they have a quote in here too
1: th- talking about how they expect microservices to um, rise in popularity over the next couple of years. So, if he thought this was a fad that was going to go away, uh, well, <laughs> they may going, not be using it right. But yeah,
2: it's going up from eighty eight percent to ninety two next year. <laughs> yeah,
1: and uh, it is fifty three percent of microservice developers have more than six years of professional experience.
2: I don't doubt that. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, you know, yeah, they should know um, before. Okay. Well, I wanted to give you a chance because uh, I do see we have another bullet point here on the microservices. But before we, mo- after we move on, before we move on to the next one, I do want to have a moment to interject something. So were we going to cover that one?
1: I was going to say, um, so they do cover, uh, they talk about like the different kind of protocols and uh, they had GraphQL at uh, 14%, which oh,
0: careful. You're gonna
1: hurt, Ellen. You're gonna hurt. Oh, him. yeah. Well, we talked about, you know, I kind of asked the question a couple episodes ago, like, what's going on with, uh, what, you know, what's going on with GraphQL? Is it going up or going down? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And I will say, it was twelve percent last year. I uh, see, so it went
0: up. Oh, went but, up. Phew, man, that was so close. I was so afraid. Yep. <clears throat> You know, Alan already called
2: baloney, so we don't even know what's possible next. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I think it went up. I mean, if we're just doing percentages, even though it went up to 14%, it went up almost 15%. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah.
1: And I I mean, wasn't even on sure. You understand math.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, 15% of 14% is about 2%, I think. So I think it went up about 15%. That's what I'm saying. You can't have percents. percents. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's how you make yourself right. In any conversation is you just start working with percentages, right? You know, yeah, hundred percent more people got sick this week. Wait, how many got sick last week? One. Well, it doesn't matter that there's only two. There's a hundred percent more people sick this week.
1: You bring fractions in in a conversation, I'm out. Yeah, it jacks everything up.
0: So well, that that's going to screw up two thirds of this conversation, Jim. Sixty six percent of this off? conversation is based on. <laughs> All right. So, well, um, what I did want to say was like kind of like backing up for a moment on uh, the. Uh, cloud service thing uh, we didn't call this out and i don't know if you noticed this but there was a section on here of like <clears throat> the the usage of cloud services depending on company size and oh, so yeah. that could have been a sway on some of those questions because like there's a column of just me versus companies where it was like you know mm. two to ten people or 11 to 50 etc or you know and so depending on If you look at that number, it paints a totally different number because then for companies that are, you know, we'll say that more than 5,000, right? Then it's 48% Amazon and uh, Azure is 24% in second place and Google Cloud is then 10%. And everybody yeah. else trails off after that. So, you know, depending on the size of the company, even if you were to go like in the 50, uh, I'm sorry, in the 500 to a thousand, uh, employee size company, it's 55% for Amazon, 15 for Azure and 11 for Google. So in every, every one of those scenarios, it's Amazon. Uh, Microsoft Google. It's when you start getting to the smaller numbers where it's like, Hey, it's just me. (coughs) Then it's, then that's where you start to see it get to be more interesting to where it's like 30% Amazon, 14% Google and 7% uh, Microsoft. Okay. Okay. And, and that's so, also where a digital ocean like really spikes too, by the way, like right. they're 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 they jumped to 21% in that scenario when it's just me, which goes back to my point earlier of like, you know, depending on the context of how you're answering the question. So they, they, the point is uh, JetBrains did cover that.
1: So does that mean that, you know, the startups today are maybe using GCP more than AWS? Does that mean the, you know, the next year, next generations, Facebook, Netflix, you know, whatever Microsoft, You know, maybe, maybe, uh, Google's investment into Kubernetes is, uh, you know, going to be paying huge dividends in 10
0: years, you know, who knows? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we've kind of talked about Kubernetes in the past is it was like, it was Google's way of, uh, kicking the kicking the chair out from underneath Amazon, right? Like they were so late to the game and it was like, Hey, what if we just like abstract away all of the infrastructure? So where we don't care about your specific services, like what Amazon's providing and we can, it's our way of leveling the playing field. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, to your point, maybe it is kicking off because there was the rise in Kubernetes, but depending on how you decide to do the math, maybe it wasn't a rise. It was just, you know, (laughs) constant. Yeah, at any rate, I, I thought that was worth calling out. So, yeah, we can yeah, go on. That's good.
1: It's really good. Uh, so it just uh, there's a m- big miscellaneous section that asks all sorts of different questions. But one I thought was pretty interesting is how old is a computer used most often? And uh, two years old was 32%. Uh, but it was it was a kind of, a you know, decent size kind of distribution, you know, where like less than a year old is 20%. Three years old is 18. Four years old is only 9%, which isn't too bad. But then there's a big jump here at more than four years old, which goes to 18%, which mm. I don't know, you know, maybe, I, I don't know what the deal is there, but I hate to hear that because, you know, just thinking of developers being on 10 year old machines, whatever, like I'd like to fix that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: you know, that's depending on your area of the world and, you know, whatever, like the company you work for, I mean, I have a lot of control over that. or may not just be feasible, but um, I, would- I would like for everyone to have new, beautiful computers.
0: And it goes back to our SSD uh, conversation, right? Like, yep. you know, if, if the respondents who said uh, they're on a spinning hard drive are likely in that category, then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my personal laptop is eight years old and it's still doing pretty
1: good. The battery is not so good now. Yeah.
0: But. Uh, same. Like, I I, even, I don't even remember how old my Mac is that Mac is now. It's like. Uh, I always forget because it's
2: like. Yours is a 2012.
0: Yeah. Because yours is an 11. A twenty eleven, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's a 13. So, so there you go. 11, 12, 13. Um, and mine's the same, same situation as yours, Joe, where like the battery, not so hot these days, but it you know, still works. And <clears throat> to its credit, uh, you know, cause Apple stopped supporting it officially in terms of like updates and whatnot. So I just use that as an excuse to put Ubuntu on it. And so that's the primary operating system on it now. Yep. And, and the battery's the
1: thing that's, I would love to replace the battery, but I can't.
0: Yeah, that's the problem. Well, even if you wanted to, like, it's not a matter of like, you you know, you yourself being able to do it. It's like, where are you going to find a new battery for that old technology? Like, yeah. Well, that's not going to On happen. his
2: year, he
0: technically can't do it, I think. Right? No, you yeah, can. It's, like it goes to, it's that whole process where you got to like heat it up to soften the glue oh, that's holding it okay. in. I'm not doing that. Right. That's why I'm saying, like, it's not a matter of you technically doing it. It, like, cause you could technically, like, there are services that do that sort of thing, right? It's a matter of even just being able to buy Did a it. battery that yeah. would, that would work for it, that would not be, that's not a battery that's been sitting on a shelf for the last five years.
1: Right. Yeah. True. Uh, so, uh, one other section I thought that was, uh, interesting was just testing. 75% of all respondents say that it plays an integral role in their development. Awesome. But 44% of respondents say they're involved in that
2: testing. <laughs> so somebody's what? doing it, just not them.
1: Yeah. So, you know, QA or something like that, which is, you know, nothing wrong with QA. QA is great. But it just, I was like, when I first saw that number, I was like, oh, yay. You know, finally the revolution. Um, but uh, not quite. So, forty, yeah, 45, 44% are even involved in the testing. And they go on to say different types of tests. So uh, unit tests are up at 67%, um, which is odd with the (laughs) number we just mentioned before. And then it kind of tails off down there. Integration's uh, 48% and and, then 33%, which those are all really good numbers. I didn't expect to see them that high. So for who writes unit tests,
0: 57% say I write unit tests. Nice. I'm I'm happy to see the 33% end-to-end. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. I mean, that's always been like the difficulty, you know, even in my own, like, kind of like mindset when I think about like, Hey, okay. Like unit tests, super simple to implement, but then it's like, okay, well, I mean, there's only been so much you can do. Right. So then it's like, yeah, okay. Technically I can write some integration tests if I want to like, you know, run them explicitly or whatever. But in an end to te- end test, then I think more in terms of like, Oh, well, like for a web app, for example, you know, like maybe that's where you would, it doesn't have to be Cypress, you know, because t- technically you could do a lot of JavaScript unit tests too. But like, I, I kind of think in like that kind of a world where, you know, you have some kind of driver that be it Cypress or whatever, um, ask for help if you're using Selenium, uh, And you know, but you know what I'm saying though? Like you need something to like do the driving that, that would have that, uh, you know, you already have an environment up and running, but that's where it's like the 33%, like the orchestration of spinning up that environment to be able to do an end to end test, like on the fly. Like I keep thinking back to like the, the DevOps handbook and the Phoenix project. Right. And the, like the dream, the utopia of Like, hey, uh, you know, you submitted your pull request and now I'm going to go spin up a brand new environment and now I'm going to run your test. I'm going to run through like uh, not only the unit test, but the integration test, but I'm going to run through a set of end-to-end integration tests just to make sure that like everything works because they had talked about like in in those books about like how you'd have like your fast running tests and your slower running tests and whatnot. And, but yet you're going to do all those, right? And it sounds like a great utopia. And so it's really happy to see that like, well, apparently others have figured this out because you know a third of the respondents—that's you know over ten thousand people—that responded in the affirmative of we're doing to in, right? I want to work with those people. No, just
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you see it? So uh, I mean, that was pretty much it for the highlights. Uh, it definitely didn't cover a lot. I, we'll have uh, links, copious links to the show notes, different sections, things we talked about. Um, So, uh, yeah, and we'll also have links to things like uh, other surveys we uh, compared to, like, the Octoverse and uh, Stack Overflow, for example.
0: All right. Well, with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week.
1: All right. And it looks like I'm going first here. So, this one uh, comes from um, Morali, which I don't know, M-Suryar on uh, Slack. I don't know how you say that. But uh, he... Recommended a podcast to me that I now love, and it's an interview podcast, which I typically don't like. But the interviewer does a really good job of kind of crafting a narrative, so it almost feels like a Terry Gross interview or an like NPR st- style interview where they, they have like a narrative, so it's really focused on like a story. And this particular tip of the week, I uh, want to emphasize for Michael Outlaw because I think Michael Outlaw is going to particularly enjoy this show. And specifically the, the episode that uh, Riley recommended was uh, with the author of sequel light. And I did not know it had such an interesting person behind it, but also just a story of like how it came to be and the rigorous amounts of testing that they go through uh, the, the well, spoiler alert, the, the guy ends up buying a book on uh, software testing for airplanes. And uh, there's like some government standards and, and whatnot. and, he goes through and makes SQLite compliant with, you know, that level of testing. And so, uh, oh. took it very seriously. And just the whole story of like how, uh, it came to be and how it got to be so popular and like him being kind of a solo developer open source and having, you know, like Motorola and stuff saying, Hey, we're thinking about putting on this phone on our phones. Can you support it? And he's like, Yeah, sure. Uh, $80,000. And then, you know, he, he's got something that he thought was like, you know, pretty much near bug free. And suddenly, when it's on a million devices, 12 million, 100 million devices, you're going know, to find some bugs. And so his quest, he went on this like really difficult and ambitious quest to basically you know, get a bug-free. And it was just a really great episode.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, some other great episodes I really like. I've gone through maybe 20 of them now. Uh, CVS. and, or Sorry, uh, Subversion, actually the uh they got um, one of the people that did a lot of work on subversion and specifically going from cvs to subversion talking about the different models and it's like very in depth details on moving from uh you know a, a cvs which is kind of based around like local changes and the the way the database and the files were stored uh to cvs just uh, jeez keep doing that to subversion which had a client server model and how uh, network transparency was really important in uh getting that from you know, from one version to the next. And of course, you know, Git comes through and changes the whole world. And so just hearing that author's perspective on like how CVS, like just totally took over CVS and like a blink of, you know, a couple of years, it became the predominant uh, platform. And then a few years later, the same thing happened to it again with Git. And so just to hear his perspective on it and the, the things that it did differently and how it like related to decisions that he had to make about subversion and how that played out in Git, and seeing, you know, what worked and what didn't was really interesting.
0: It's been so long since I've thought about CVS in terms of version control that every time you said it just now, I would immediately think of places like Walgreens or like, <laughs> yeah. like I think you're using that wrong, right? Like, right. That does, that word doesn't mean what you think it means. And you
1: know what's funny is, uh, so if you went for when you used CVS, like I don't know if you ever used it, but um, going to Subversion was like it was nothing because it, it basically felt the same, it acted the same, the commands were nearly the same. The only difference is one was on a network and one wasn't. So uh, you know, it it just made things a lot easier.
0: So, am I the weirdo between the three of us that had Mercurial in between there? Don't uh, no. So we talked. Used... They talk
1: about a little bit. I used it a little bit. I I really liked it. I thought it was more consistent than uh, than Git. Well,
0: um, I wasn't gonna go there with it, but
1: yeah, I know. But, uh, <laughs> Git is not Git is not known for its consistency. It's like the perfect <laughs> system for you know Linux branching and stuff, but. Yeah, so great episode. And I'll, one more I had to throw out there. Uh, I'm a big fan of Programming Throwdown podcast. Um, the, they actually had one of the guys, Jason, and they, like they didn't even mention the podcast. Like I heard the person's voice. and I'm like, oh, that's that's Programming Throwdown. And then at the very end of the episode, it's like, hey, you should also check out the podcast. But like right from the get go, I'm like, oh, that's that's him. I know it's him. And I was like on a bicycle, so you know, I wasn't like googling for it. But I'm like the whole time, I'm like, that's him, right? That's him. <laughs> it was. So yeah. Oh, and I have one more. Sorry. Uh, another podcast so i'm giving i'm giving it away so uh <laughs> you know i'm telling you all about other podcasts today software engineering daily show we've mentioned uh many times person design interviews with uh people from you know all over the place different technologies and releases every day well the author jeff uh wrote a book about facebook engineering and if you listen to the show you know that he, like there was a long period of time where he just interviewed a ton of facebook employees like back to back to back for you know many months they're just sprinkled throughout well he wrote a book about their engineering culture and the way they kind of developed uh, over the years and uh it was like I, I thought surprisingly insightful like i you know it was like knew they're going to talk about react i thought they're going to talk about you know presto and graphql and some of the other things it was really more about the culture and uh the way the company evolved and adapted to To these different kind of technological challenges because you remember like at the time facebook was you know first came out mobile first development didn't exist you know mobile phones as we know them today smartphones didn't exist they changed their entire company to basically be a mobile first company and it really paid off but several things had to happen in order to make that happen like you know with the the mobile um, release cycle is like you know especially back in when things first came out Uh, You had to submit to the app store. There were like soak tests and you you couldn't roll out multiple changes uh, every day. And that's what Facebook was used to, you know, move fast and break things. Right. So then when they pivoted to be a mobile company, it wasn't just the technology that changed. It was their whole business process, their whole business, their whole like kind of soul of the company ran into this brick wall and how they got around it is really interesting. And that's, you know, essentially how react came to be in react native because it's this whole different methodology where you kind of deliver this tiny little app and then dynamically throw the data end in, in order to kind of render. And so that's how they kind of subverted uh, the, the, uh, the whole process there and able to kind of keep the soul of the company alive. And I mean, that was a risky bet and they just really go into that. It's like two, three hour uh, book And he released it for free on the podcast. He ran into some problems with Audible uh, getting it submitted. So he was like, screw it. I'm just going to release it. And even threw a bonus uh, music album on the end of it. So you can go (laughs) listen to – yeah, great guy. So you can go listen to the book and then listen to the album that he kind of uh, wrote around the time he was putting the book together. But it was really good. And so I I really enjoyed that. And we've got a a link there, and it's free.
0: Very, very cool. All right. So uh, I have a silly one. And, uh, but you know, bear with me for a moment because this one is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to provide a link to it, how to take a screenshot on your Mac. And you might be thinking about Michael, I know how to do this. So, um, but, but the reason why I call this out is because like, I've always done screenshots on the Mac in one of two ways. I've always done like a shift command four, and then I'll like drag and get the area that I want. Or I'll press the space bar afterwards. And then that way it'll just turn in the, the the mouse icon turns into a camera and it can, um uh you know, take the window. It'll, it'll, it'll take the, and it'll, and like whatever window you're going to taking doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be the foreground window, but whatever window you're going to take the screenshot of, it'll like, you know, let you know, cause it'll give like a blue treatment, a blue hue over that window. And so those are the two that I've always used. And I had forgotten, because um, this somehow came up, I forget what, because we were talking about how, uh, with some coworkers, about how uh, on Mac, there's the um, uh, the screenshot app. And so, like, by default, uh, when you do one of those two options that I just said, then in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a preview of it. And you can click on it then. And if you wanted to like immediately copy it to like do something else with it or to annotate it or whatever you can. And if you're like, nope, I'm done with this thing. You can also click on the trash can. But otherwise, if you did nothing, then it's going to save. And by default, it goes to your, uh, your, your, your desktop, unless you change that in the, um, unless you change the default, right location, uh, in the screenshot app, but the, the one that I didn't know and, there, and when we got into this conversation that I thought like, oh man, that one's super cool and I have now been using it all the time was because what I would do before when I would do that, you know, command shift uh, four or command shift four space and, you know, the little snap preview would show up in the bottom right hand corner for the screenshot app and I would open that up, immediately copy it and then hit the trash can button to delete it. And then I'd go to paste it. Turns out I didn't have to do all that. If after you press your, uh, command shift for, or command shift for space bar, if you hold the control key, as you're doing the mouse, the corresponding mouse action for, you know, whichever one is your appropriate thing, then it doesn't give you that preview in the bottom right-hand corner at all. And it will, it will not allow you to annotate it. And it won't trying to save it to your desktop. Instead, it just immediately just copies it directly to your clipboard. And then from there you could just paste it wherever you want, which is often what I find myself wanting to do. But now I know that like, uh, you know, for those times that I do want to annotate it, maybe fine. I won't press control. And for the times that I, I do, uh, I don't care to annotate it, then I will press control. And there's also like, you know, the, another version for command shift three, where you could take like the entire, uh, Desktop instead of just a single window or a portion of it, but uh, it was really that that control part. Pressing you know pressing the control key that I was like, oh yeah, I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. So That's really cool. I didn't know that either.
2: Yeah, I've I thought always done w- exactly what you said: save it, then go
0: copy it. And mm-hmm. yeah, yep. and and now I'm like feeling so silly because I'm like, oh yeah, of course they they must have had like a, a difference for that. So yeah, and it turns out they did. Um, and then the other thing that I thought that I would just, this isn't like necessarily a tip, uh, you know, that, that to link to anywhere, but just like maybe just a general rule of like how you should go about like decision makings and whatnot, um, in your day to day. But like, you know, I, I put here in the notes, like data, 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 like let the data guide your decisions, not based on feelings. And so where I come from with that is that, you know, some peers and I, we were, we were having this conversation and it was like, well, I think that this is going to be the way it is. And I feel like this is going to be, you know, uh, the right decision. And that, um, it's, you know, this is probably going to be, uh, you know, the heavy use case, blah, 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 blah. And so there were a lot of things that I just said there that were kind of loaded, like probably I feel like, or I think this blah, 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 you know, those types of, those types of, uh, phrases, in your conversations, you know, sh- should be like, um, you know, they, they should, they should call out to you like, Hey, wait a minute. Are we, are we basing this on the right thing? Then if we're saying, I think, or I feel, or it's probably, or, you know, th- phrases like that. And instead, what, what I proposed was like, well, Hey, let's just quantify this thing and let's actually see, you know, how big of an issue is it? Maybe, maybe, We'll find that it's a much larger issue than we even imagined it was. Or maybe we find that it doesn't matter at all. And, or maybe we find that, you know, it is just this one case. And in our case, what we ended up finding was it was a much larger issue uh, in total once we started doing the math to like um, attribute it across all of the different, you know, that particular problem. Once we started like applying it to all the different places where it happened, you know, we could, we could quantify it and see like, oh, it's actually a much bigger problem than we realized. And even if we did solve it for this one very specific thing, it's still going to like rear its ugly head and all these other use cases. And so, you know, when possible, quantify. Yeah, measure, don't guess. Yeah.
2: Excellent. All right, so this next one uh, is kind of goes along with the the video that I did on YouTube about how to do HTTP and REST request in Visual Studio that was based off Joe Zach's previous tip. This, I learned from a spring course, and I thought it was pretty cool. There is a thing called HTTP, HTTP, we'll call it, and it's HTTPie.io. and if you go there, this is like a curl alternative for the command line. So if you were to install this thing, it gives you a lot of features of curl, except way easier and with support for syntax highlighting and that kind of stuff. So if you install this thing, instead of having to do a curl on post dash something dash something else to get this stuff, you can just type in HTTPS space and then the URL and then run it. And it will send you back the response from the server. Um, they have all kinds of different things on here, like different ways that you can post these things, um, how you can pass in the headers, how you can pass in the body, and all that kind of stuff. You can do it from files, you can do it directly from the you know the commands that you want to enter. So super easy, a really concise way to again be able to do HTTP or type REST type request directly from the command line in a much more concise and readable way so um i'd say give that a give that a shot if you do a lot of stuff from the command line we should
0: call out too though that it's a very less friendly windows version than it is for the other platforms from the looks of it just simply uh, from the install perspective cuz it would it's a pip install for windows so is python huh yeah Yeah. Uh, And and so I call it out because like that might be, uh, you know, for some, for some windows users, that might be a showstopper, but if that's the case and you're on windows, then you likely have access to WSL if you aren't already using it. And, you know, I mean, there was that question from Jeb Ritz in the survey. So maybe you haven't already used it, or maybe you were the ones that provided other, and this is what you meant. And Hey, let's, let's be real.
2: You know, we've talked about this in the past, just freaking run it in Docker, <laughs> like get a Docker image with Python in it and then do the pip install in there and you're good to go.
0: Well, you wouldn't even need to do that. If you're going to do Docker, you could just Docker and then uh, Docker run Ubuntu and then app get install uh, HTTP py, or HTTP. No, wait. Uh, there it's
2: you go. HTTP you could do py, that too.
0: Yeah. Don't e- Yeah.
2: Don't even need the Python. Good call. Yeah, just uh, maybe even Alpine would be good enough. Not sure, but yeah. So this this looked really cool. It's
1: kind of a pain for um for files. So if you're like putting up files or anything, and like I don't know, I don't I don't love like you have to map volumes and stuff. The docs are great oh, for Docker. Yeah, but I wouldn't do it if I had to do it through Docker. Uh,
0: I, I mean, if I was I on basically, Windows, huh? I oh, was sorry. I was going to say like if I was on Windows, I would always I would just WSL it. Like yeah, I would do I that to? before
1: I would Docker it. Yeah, yeah. good
2: call. I Docker everything. I don't like to install anything anymore. So,
1: so I, for a command line tool that I want to use for ad hoc stuff, I, eh, I, I just don't remember like Docker run. I guess you could write a script around it, but I'm with Jay Z on this mm-hmm.
0: one.
2: Yeah. For a command
0: run all the time, I would, I I would install it, but I would install it in my WSL instance on Windows.
2: Yeah, I like that. I like that approach better.
0: I'd rather do that than install Python and have a Pyth- a global Python that I'm going to then install I would some agree. Other package. I
2: would do WSL, then I would do Docker before I'd install Python just to install this tool.
1: Right. Yeah, especially cuz uh, virtual environments are just trash.
2: Yes,
0: sir. Oh yes, man. Sir. I that's right. right into that, I'm kidding. Do not at me. I'm
2: kidding.
1: I'm kidding. Don't so, at that's,
0: that's at Joe and at Alan on Slack uh, uh. and you can send your complaints there. And, uh, yeah, I think with that, we've broken the internet and, um, you know, there was some stuff that I didn't say at the front of the show. Cause Joe won't let me anymore, but I'll take this opportunity to say it now. And if you haven't already subscribed to us, uh, you can find, uh, us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you like to find your podcasts. Uh, we probably there. Oh, audible is a good call out for example. And, uh, you know, like I said, not like those weirdos tried to say it earlier, but like I said it in a normal voice earlier, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. If you did, Um, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And if you have left us a review on like maybe one platform, uh, but not another, and you're feeling generous, we also greatly appreciate reading those. Uh, You know, so we've definitely had people over the years that have, left reviews on multiple platforms and it's it it puts a smile on our face like it's the first time every time so we appreciate it
2: yep and hey while you're up there at codingblocks.net definitely check out the show notes i mean they are copious they they are a good reference point to go back and be like they talked about something in the show i don't want to have to go skim through the whole show again they're probably in the show notes there so go check those out and make sure you send any questions, feedback, rants, whatever to our Slack channel. If you want to join that, you'll have to DM us right now on Twitter. Our plugins broken. Um, the SLA, we still got like, I don't know, two years left on that. So, um, we'll fix that
0: eventually.
1: All right. And, uh, I think I, I think I know how to fix it.
2: Now. Okay. But,
1: uh, so, um, we'll t- I'll take that offline. But, uh, I, uh, the thing I have to say, I've said before. So if you just want to grab it from last episode and kind of paste it in here, that'd be great. It's it's the part, uh, where I say be sure to follow us on Twitter at Coding Blocks or head over to codingblocks.net and find all the social links of the page.
0: I find just that to be too confusing. Right can you just say it this time? <laughs> and so I can, I don't have to go and hunt for it in some other audio.
1: Yeah it'd be no, I, just, I can't I just can't seems to do anymore <laughs> fine <laughs> I'll make it I can't happen do anything anymore. I don't want to do anything that I know how to do
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make it happen but you might not like the audio I pick how's That's that fine. yeah all right I'll be like hi everybody I'm Joe Zach and uh be sure to follow us at twitter at coding blocks you know how about if I did that yeah as long as I don't have to do it again this fine. I think my I think my impersonation was spot on yeah of Stewie. Yeah. Of Stewie. Oh, oh, it was of Stewie? Yeah. <laughs> did I mess was up? Of Stewie?
1: It. Oh, I thought it was Moana. All right.
0: <laughs> all right. Because I was going to tell you, like, I finally broke down and bought a new thesaurus. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, finally. But when I opened it, all the pages were blo- blank. And I'll tell you, man, I have no words to describe how angry I was.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that one's okay.
0: Wow, Alan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to get you FSR so that you can come up with some better words. <laughs> that's right. That's right.